Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. We have a guest today. Please welcome back to the podcast, Nuchus. Hey! Hello, everyone. Hi! Hey! Still following along with us? I am. I am. As a matter of fact, I did not realize I was going to be on this episode, which happens a lot. Um, <laughs> so I already sent it feedback. So those are my notes, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> did you send it feedback? I don't think you did. I did. I did. What? No, then it was back all the time. Then it was eaten by the internet. <laughs> I sent it on December 6th. Because I normally watch them in chunks of two. Like, I'll send in the feedback for the next episode, and then I'll watch the next episode. And then I won't go further than that. So then when I hear the podcast for the episode that I sent feedback in, then I watch the next two episodes. It's very weird. So you're like three episodes ahead. No, only one episode. No, I wait till I hear the second one. If you do that, you're just fucking up my oh. kill list. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused now. <laughs> well, I've sent in feedback for every episode so far. Yes, she yeah, Nutty's never. Whether nutty's Matt has on. read it or not well, is a different story. Again, oh, oh, that's eating it because I can't find <laughs> it. I'm looking for it, and I don't know. It's not here. And mm. The title is "The Horse Can Come." <laughs> <laughs> does, does your email have a profanity filter? Maybe it's not in here. <laughs> I, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> Your email uh, doesn't like whores. And it, it doesn't, especially doesn't like it when they come. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious That's title. That's a bad email to have for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anyone's ever created an email address, like, uh, uh, inspired by the titles of these shows. So the horse can come at gmail.com. <laughs> Let's. Oh well, man! Let's you should just it. email every single episode that you do. Hi, is this a real email address? <laughs> yes. Should I should I send an email to horse can come or the horse can come? The horse can come. The full title. Okay. Yeah, just see if it bounces. All right, let's try it live <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> just say hi. <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> you gotta explain yourself. <laughs> hmm. Well, if it's coming from hooplecast.com, they might have an idea that it's Deadwood related. Oh, yeah. I have to log into, I should log into that one then. Yeah. Well, if it's coming from Seth Bullock. Hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, then they might be like, Seth Bullock, the real one. <laughs> Am I, I'm putting in the subject, how many kinds of cock breath are there, question mark? I forget. <laughs> oh, my God. Just oh think man. It's... Seven. There are seven kinds. <laughs> <laughs> Seven varieties. <laughs> varieties. It bounced back. Oh. So it's available, Mel, if you yes. want to grab it. <laughs> I think it's it's one of those emails that you would regret creating, I think. Mm -hmm. Just don't put it on your resume or horse <laughs> can come at gmail.com. Oh. <laughs> Here's my references. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, I want to give a little uh, update regarding the future of the podcast. The original plan was that we were going to wrap the season in December, take the month of January off, and start again in February. And then January 2nd, I was going to post the schedule and open it up to guest spots. But due to my circumstances involving my moving to another state, I don't know when we're going to, going to resume. Uh, my priority will be finding a place to live. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And then after that, then we'll see. So maybe we'll get going again in March, but you can't, you can't podcast from a hobo box. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could theoretically podcast, but I also have to have the time to edit and do all that stuff. So too much of a time commitment right now. No. What else what else would you have to do while you're living in a box of cardboard? <laughs> I would be trying to figure out a way to move out of my house of cardboard. <laughs> so priorities mad. Yes. So listeners, the best thing for you to do is to go onto the Facebook group. If you're not on the group, get on there. Uh, I know Facebook is, you know, it can be a cesspool sometimes. A lot of a lot of dumb people on there, a lot of stupid <laughs> comments, but our group is a safe zone. So if you don't have a Facebook account, just create one specifically for us, join it, because that's the best way to get the news. I'll also, you know, send a tweet out, but, you know, the way Twitter can be, that's, sometimes you lose messages uh, in the feed, so it's better just to be on the Facebook group. And you can always send me an email, hoopalcast at gmail.com, if you have a question about something, or you want me to update you personally when the, the schedule goes up, I can do that too. I'll keep track of that, so... And for people who hate Facebook, you can always create a Facebook account and never add a friend, but just join groups. Yeah, it's true. It's what I tell my clients all the time. You can have a business page and never add friends and so you can avoid all the other nonsense that you hate about Facebook. Mm. Exactly. You don't even have to use your real name. It's no. True. All right. We have a Reader's Theater article. Oh, yay. Our reader today is Emily from the Yes Mother podcast. Also, Sue watches Buffy, where she is an expert guiding her sister Sue through Buffy for the first time. She's also from McKinley Cast. Oh, yeah, yeah McKinley Cast. <laughs> Boy, I can't wait to finish our show before we, you finish that. that. <laughs> <laughs> you never can tell. What I love about McKinley Cast is it's a one season show, and your high schooler has graduated. <laughs> <laughs> And she's finished her first semester of college. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like whole civilizations are being destroyed and built and destroyed and built. Like I'm while waiting sure. for this to happen. I'm pretty sure my son was in high school when we started, and he just finished his third semester of college. Oh wow, <laughs> that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But we haven't given up, That's which I good. think deserves some kind of, you know. I admire that. <laughs> yeah. We we turn one out every six months or so. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times December 19th, 1878 and December 22nd, 1879. Christmas trees are maturing. Indians never kiss each other. Oyster are fat, the Oyster Bay. <laughs> Frank Welch is at the Red Cloud Agency. Judge Moody was confirmed on the 11th. Lost. There is a stormy look in the heavens, and big medicine men predict snow. Mining operations in Spruce Gulch have been suspended for the season. There will be a Christmas tree at the Congregational Church Tuesday evening. Frank Green, who was recently arrested for road agency, has been discharged. He wasn't the fellow. <laughs> the thermometer indicated a temperature of 10 degrees below zero this morning, and yet people said it wasn't cold. <laughs> the Mango Furniture Store was removed to the Arcade Building on Upper Sherman, opposite Pine Street today. Whiskey changes the characteristics of a man. We know this from long and close observation and a little experience. 
Murder trials at Omaha are the order of the day. There are about a dozen on the docket of the district court of that county. The danger from the forming iceberg in South Deadwood has been averted. The channel in the Whitewood has been opened. Iceberg? (laughs) The entertainment for the Sunday school children of the Congregational Church will be held in the church Tuesday evening, December 23rd, commencing at 7 o'clock. Old Santa will be present, and a good time is anticipated. All are invited to participate. Presents will be received at the church on Tuesday by the committee consisting of the following ladies. Mrs. R. Windrum, Mrs. C.P. Limer, and Mrs. L.R. Graves. Any information wanted in regard to the entertainment will be cheerfully given by the above committee. In Canton, New York yesterday, Van Dyke was hanged for the murder of his wife at Ogdensburg, July last. When he asked if he had any remark to make, he spoke as follows. I will speak a few words to these gentlemen, one and all, old and young. Beware of bad company and liquor. Beware of bad company, for it leads to something worse. May God have mercy upon my dear soul. I am not guilty, but am not afraid to meet God this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first part of this article, like it read like um, the ticker, the ticker new- tape news or whatever that goes at the bottom of like CNN. Yeah, just it's headline. just headlines. Yeah, yeah it's just, just headlines. like local news, which is just really crappy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, well, there's there's an Oyster Bay in in the Dakotas. I'm confused. Oyster Bay is a restaurant. Oh, okay. Yeah, that oh, makes sense. Okay. That's where yeah. you. That's where you get your hot tatties. Ah. Coming your from Long Island, all your... I can think of it's a town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's town. And I assume that they uh, measured in Fahrenheit back then as well i would think so that's minus 23 celsius matt and mel that's ridiculous that is yeah pretty that's pretty crazy. darn cold People said it wasn't cold though <laughs> they're just being tough guys trust me uh, i experienced that cold. kind of cold last year that's freaking cold <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty damn cold yeah. yeah we we get that every now and then around here and it's terrible it's it's awful it makes so. it makes your skin crack that's how mm-hmm. cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My experience in getting these articles, I went through the online catalog at the Deadwood Library, where you can type in keywords uh, and also narrow by dates. So I was just trying to find something that sounded humorous when I'm looking through, so that I could request from the library to scan them or email them to me or mail them to me these articles. And I thought, oh, Indians never kiss each other. I wonder what that one is. So imagine my disappointment when it's one line in the page that I got. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a bunch of one-liners? Well, that's what this is. That's what this is, but that's what a lot of them turned out to be. Uh Uh-huh. Some were not, some were full articles, but some were just like one little line. And it's like, well, that's no good to me, but I'll just have them read the whole thing because. So it's one line and it's never explained why they put that there. It's just one line. Right. It's so random. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just a, a, a FYI. Yeah. <laughs> journalism has come so far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we may complain about journalism, but it's more than just the headlines. Yeah. Uh, although some people only read the headlines, but you know. yeah. Yeah. So well, this is also kind of little local news with who knows who was actually writing it. Could have been, yeah. you know, the whoever they could get to, to put something out. But it was Merrick, right? I don't know. (laughs) 
lot of my articles came from the Black Hills Daily Times. Oh. Pioneer didn't have too much. And so I don't know if they just weren't preserved or or what the deal was. But most of my stuff came from the Times. Yeah. By the way, Emily <laughs> Emily sounded really cool on this. She reminded me of that, that podcast about like Night Vale or whatever it is. Oh, welcome to Night Vale. Welcome to Night Vale. Somehow she kept sounding like that when she was she reading. She did. She said a little sinister. Yeah. <laughs> but casual at the same time. Yeah, yeah. If she was going for that, kudos. That's yeah, great. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> really cool. Stop being such a creeper, Emily. <laughs> no, keep it up. <laughs> Night Vale is a hugely popular podcast. You want that kind of popularity. It is. Yeah. It is. Exactly. This is episode 23, The Horse Can Come, written by Brian McDonald, directed by Greg Feinberg, original air date, May 15th, 2005. It's morning, Al's walking through the campus, he smells something foul. Mr. Lee, a.k.a. that San Francisco cocksucker, is burning the bodies of dead Chinese sex slaves. Mr. Wu shouts at him. I have no clue what he's saying, but it's probably something like, you monsters. Mm-hmm. You, you you can guess from, from his face, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's... I'm I'm so happy to see that actually not that the women were being burned that was actually disgusting it was really yes. horrible to see happening and we knew we knew it was coming but the fact that they actually put it on screen mm-hmm. just made it so much more real and Mr. Wu flipping out was it just made me like his character so much more mm-hmm. um I did wonder where the doc was cuz he's been keeping an eye out on all of this stuff and getting very angry about it as well but we see him later um, I just, oh, it was so gross. But still, does Wu have much of a leg to stand on for morality since he, like, feeds people to pigs? <laughs> no, yeah. He doesn't kill them. And he no. doesn't feed them live, you know. It's, 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 these people have been killed in another way. They're brought to him to dispose of. He's angry, not because they're burning women, but because they just didn't feed them and let them die. They're used and thrown away. It's a more cruel death than, than yeah. someone, I think. Mm. If you murder someone, you're killing them quickly. You know, you're not... Most of the time, people are just, like, trying to kill the, the person quickly. They just want to get rid of them. You yeah. Know, it's a quicker also, death. Also, the the people he disposes of are from that white man's world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, which he, I'm sure, has absolutely no respect for anyway. Mm. And... and- and I wonder if there's, cause we get the, and I know this is skipping ahead, but we get him showing the plate with the different regions of China. Right. And he's trying right. to point out that the other cocksucker, I believe he's trying to point out the other cocksucker is from a really bad part or whatever. <laughs> I don't know enough of uh, Chinese history to really understand the politics of it. Um, yeah. probably I, wish, not I a, wish I did. It's probably mm-hmm. not a bad part. It's probably just a different part. Yeah, like a, an opposing <laughs> part, rather. Yeah, bad yeah. from his point of view. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if these women are from Wu's area. 
And if there's a strife between the different uh, regions, that it it is a bit of a, a genocide of his people. Yeah. Mm. So the the um one of the things that struck me just as we started talking, and I was thinking about it again because I just watched it before we started, um, was that Wu and what is this new guy's name? Do we know? Mister Lee. Mister yeah. Lee. Wu and Mr. Lee are kind of like the Al Swearingen and Psy of this group, mm-hmm. and they're allied to those that are kind of like them, because um, Psy is despicable, and mm-hmm. Al is sometimes despicable, <laughs> but but he has, he yeah, he's he's got, you know, and he's got a longer range vision of things, as I think does Wu. Then this guy, this guy is just use him, abuse him, throw him away. I'm going to read something from Qian Yong, who plays Wu. The Chinese god Kuang Gong, the god of war, is also the god of poets. He's the god of prostitutes and gamblers, too. All of us who love Kuang Gong, which includes all the Chinese who came from Canton to work in America, were like, fuck Buddha and fuck Kuan Yin, the, this goddess of humility. <laughs> we love Kuang Gong because Kuang Gong loved the poor. He loved the gamblers, which we all were, because we were trying to survive. He loved prostitutes, which we all were, because we had to sell ourselves in order to survive. So we love Kuang Gung, the god of war. If you talk about the character of Wu, I try to embody that kind of consciousness. The god of war, but also the god of the poor and the crippled. Interesting. Cool. I love that. Yeah. So he's supposed to be Cantonese. He's from Canton. I guess so. Okay. So the Cantonese... Because the Cantonese... um, most of Chinatown in New York City was uh, Cantonese back, like, when I was a kid. And then you started seeing the Sichuan and the, you know, the Hunan and other parts of China kind of coming in. So I don't know historically what parts of China, you know, the Chinese who were coming into the West in the 1800s were from. But it might be interesting Maybe I'll take a look and see if I can find that out. I want to read some information about Chinatown in Deadwood. Okay. By the mid-1870s, a quarter of all miners in the West were Chinese. They had first come in 1849 for the California gold rush and followed the mining boom eastward into Idaho, Montana, Arizona, and Wyoming. The first Chinese immigrants arrived in the Black Hills in the winter of 1875. Although Deadwood's Chinese population probably never exceeded 250, they played a major role in the city's development. The Chinese immigrants formed their own camp on the northern end of Deadwood's Main Street in 1876. It was officially incorporated into Deadwood in 1881. Because of the low economic status of the Chinese, the neighborhood became a hub of various vices, with saloons, gambling houses, dance halls, and brothels. Much of the mining in the Black Hills turned to hard rock mines in 1877, and many Chinese began reworking the plaster mines that had been abandoned. Their success in finding gold and the supposedly tapped-out claims created resentment among Deadwood's white population, fed by the fear of Chinese cheap labor. In 1878, a group of white miners formed the Caucasian League and Miners Union to protect the interest of white miners and prevent the employment of the Celestials. Over the course of the next year, four Chinese houses were burned and an opium den was blown up. Most of Deadwood's Chinese population was not actually involved in mining, but instead worked in restaurants, shops, and boarding houses. 
They also dominated the region's laundry industry, and by 1880, half of the Chinese residents worked in laundries. Like many others trying to survive on the frontier, the Chinese also supported themselves through illegal means, from stealing chickens and clothes to operating opium houses. Now, they said probably didn't exceed 250. That's according to、uh, stories of the Black Hills. I have this book called The Real Deadwood, and it says it probably numbered around 400 at its peak.、Mm. And They were so self-sufficient that they even had their own fire department, police force, and mayor. Wow,、hmm. that makes sense.、Yeah. On the railroads, they were paid thirty-two dollars and fifty cents per month versus the fifty-two dollars paid toward whites.、Huh. There's your wage discrepancy. Yeah, which yeah. actually was a fairly good wage gap for that time for for、uh, Asians. I was、It's, thinking. That. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I do know、um, is、uh, that. You know, when when Asians were were brought in to work on the railroads, the best work that they could get was working on the railroads. That other jobs, their wage gap was it was much more severe, and they made so much less. And that the only living wage, the only real wage that wasn't、um, almost like a slave wage,、uh, was working on the railroads. Unfortunately,、uh, it was around then that the U.S. also. Uh, was making rules that Asians could not marry. Their idea was if they were not allowed to marry, and not just not allowed to marry other races, just they're not even allowed to marry each other. The thought was, if you can't get married, then you can't have kids, right?、Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> wow. You need, need one、That's、for a, the other. Bunch of awfulness right there. So it started this this idea of you know white man laws not really applying,、um, and and.、Uh, The big discrepancy, and obviously that didn't stop them from getting married and procreating. No shit, they just didn't have legal <laughs> marriages. Yeah, I recommend if you have Netflix, check down the documentary "The Search for General Sao." It's about、uh, General Sao's chicken and how that came into being, where it came from, and also they t- touch on Chinese immigration in the United States and how the Chinese made inroads in our society through their food. So it's a pretty it, kind of an all-encompassing documentary, and it's、uh, really well put together. So track that down. The search for General Sao.、Oh. It's actually already on my list. I'm I'm waiting to watch it, but it's you know how Netflix lets you set up a list on your streaming. It's on my list, waiting to go. <laughs> so I'm glad it's good.、Mm, it is good, except for the dumb illustrations that they have. They they can't just have somebody talking. They have to have it have them talking with an illustration thing、yeah. happening in the background. It's、mm-hmm. like I don't need that. <laughs> So I can do other things. I don't actually have to watch. Okay, cool. <laughs> so、uh, Wu's hair is really fake, right? <laughs> it looks like a really bad it, wig, or maybe it does look like a bad wig. Yeah. You people and your wigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sophia's hair is looking so much better. We have to concentrate on somebody else's hair. <laughs> yeah. Al comes upon Seth building a coffin. Seth's knuckles are bleeding from the work. Al walks with Seth a bit, saying, "Yankton's man is still in the camp," and could he nod? To show that they're still allies, Seth says, "All right," and he takes the coffin home. Is he like just basically being like whatever, or is he actually still still、shocked. into this plot? What is he actually still like a part of this whole thing, or is just like whatever,、Who? Seth? Oh, I don't he, think he cares that much at this point, right now. I I think he's still involved in it, but he's just so. It's it's not important to his life right at the moment, but it's not a good time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's something that 
he is part of and it's something that he um, committed himself to and he's got a responsibility to it. So he's following through. That was my feeling. I like that Al basically said, is it all right if I walk with you for a little while? Like mm-hmm. he says, can you abide me beside you? About 20 yeah. paces or so. I So I like that kind of like, I know this is like the worst time to talk about this, but mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, talk about it. Yeah, that was very respectful. Uh, Al is actually pretty good throughout most of this episode. Um, yeah. my notes for this, by the way, is F this show and William dying. I didn't realize <laughs> that he was dead in the last episode. <laughs> he was brain damaged and maybe brain dead. I'd hoped he might be able to pull through. I had no idea that he had actually died. And so when I watched this, I was just like, fuck you, show. Fuck you, show. Fuck you, show. I was so angry. <laughs> Mose is awake. Jane offers him water, and Joni takes his hand. Then Jane tells Leon and Khan to get the fuck out. Go fetch the doc. At least one of his patients has survived the night. So William dies, but Mose lives. Is that fair? <laughs> and somebody calls him a fat fuck, which I which I yeah. find to be a, a modern like phrasing. I, I would think not something they would say back then, but I don't know. <laughs> huh. I don't know. The word fat has has been around for a long time. I know, but combined with fuck, fat fuck. Yeah, fat fuck. Yeah, yeah it feels more like a modern thing. Yeah. People say that all the time right now. Yeah, maybe. Martha is cleaning William's body with a sponge. She and Seth don't speak as he comes inside to wash his bloodied hands. He spots two trunks of clothes at the foot of the bed. Are they not allowed to weep openly? It's just, it's the times. Maybe mm. they don't... They it try just, to keep it all in. It could just be their own personalities. Mm. They're just trying to be brave. They're, they're wasps. They're wasps not comf- don't openly weep. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably not still not comfortable with each other because mm. that would be such a show of emotion. Like that would. I also get the feeling she's just still totally in shock. Yes, yeah. she doesn't quite believe that it's real yet. You can tell yeah. just, she's washing his body, and you can tell it's all surreal to her right now. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing kind of comes and goes in waves, and, and and it takes a little while for things to sink in. Without getting spoilery, this scene reminds me a lot of a certain scene in Carnival where a person's washing a, a body. And it's that, mm-hmm. and that, and that scene in that show is so beautiful. And yeah. this, is, this is too. Um, this scene, I, it's weird, um, but it made me think of, uh, when my brother passed away, um, a, he was older. He was like 40. Um, and he had a heart attack. But, uh, my brother and his wife, his wife is Buddhist. And so he had a Buddhist funeral. And, um, it, part of the culture there is that, uh, you dress the dead, the, the close family members dress the dead. So my mm-hmm. mom had to go and help dress him in the middle of the funeral. Which was a little odd. <laughs> it was, and my mom was not expecting it. Uh, but she okay with it? Uh, it was, she went and she did it and she was like, I was not expecting that. But basically she didn't do much of the dressing. She just basically was stroking his hair and holding, you know, holding him. And, uh, yeah, that scene, that's what I, it felt like because it was, excuse me, I'm getting a little choked up. It was the same kind of emotion. And, uh, I was, more angry at the show for killing off William at that point because of that. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, but it just goes to show that it's it's very realistic what they're portraying here. 
mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, her, her watching her son and, and, you know, touching him as if, as if he's just asleep, you know? Yeah. Nowadays you get more of a, like, for the most part, most people get that hands off approach when someone mm-hmm. does, everyone takes yeah. care of that for you. Yeah. You know? And, and even though like in my family, um, in the, in the Catholic side, uh, you know, we generally would do an open casket and we would, because people think we're weird for doing this, but we keep the, we do the viewings in the home. Oh, you do? And so Yeah. So the, the body's there overnight in an open casket. Um, and isn't that an Irish Catholic thing? It is. It is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. and, uh, so like for us, we're used to seeing the body and, and you'd touch a hand or something, mm-hmm. but this was just so much more, you know, he came out and just, like an undershirt and he had to put his suit on and, and it really was like very hands-on and uh the one thing i will say about this uh kind of funeral and having a, a more hands-on approach with the dead is it just really pulls that grief out of you and forces you to deal with it so while it's a much more intense feeling i will say i processed it a lot quicker Hmm. I would imagine that, yeah, because it, yeah. yeah, it really forces you to have a look at, you know, forces you to realize that they're gone. Yeah, know? and my my brother's from Vietnam, um, and uh, so in in Vietnam they would do this for like two weeks. Wow! Yeah. And we Seriously? did it over a weekend. Hmm? Seriously, for two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Wow! It's insane. And mm-hmm. it's time for that these days. <laughs> no, no, that's just, it's impossible in the North American world. But we were able, you know, they can, we condensed it down. We were able to, uh, you know, do the proper respect and all of the other stuff. But I'll tell you, like, a weekend of nothing but grief. And by the time I got home, I was like, yeah, that did it. And it, it just, it pulled so much grief out of you mm-hmm. that it, you were able to function again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's very strange. So I, I kind of wonder, like, maybe this is a better way to deal with it. Mm, yeah. When I, I die, I want to be mummified and have my organs put in canopic jars. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want a pyramid over you or uh, some sort of statue? That's too, that's too gaudy. No, oh, okay. That's, <laughs> that's funny that you say that, Matt, because I told Matt that I would stuff him and put him on my couch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's the same. You'd be mummified. Putting on some, I want to be turned into a diamond. <laughs> they can just, do that. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, you can. I wonder what color I would be. Because they all come out like different colors. Do they? Yeah, oh, based like- on the carbon composition. That's, that's weird. <laughs> I'm very bu- bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I'm just taking in everything you guys have been saying. and um, I mean, this was really calm. This was the way it was done back then for everybody. It wasn't just, you know, one culture or something. Everybody had the body in their home and and dealt with it themselves and um, and all and it was it was a very much much more hands on sort of experience. Um, thinking about my dad when he passed away and th- the fact that um, he was in a funeral home only you know right down the road from my mom's house, like walking distance. Um, it's still when, you know, we had to say, you know, like get there in time to say our goodbyes and close the casket and everything else. And it felt sudden, you know, like mm-hmm. to have to 
like make an appointment to say goodbye. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I could, I could definitely see, um, it being much more organic to just have, you know, I mean, the grief process be much more organic to have him in the home and, you know, be able to deal with things in your own time. Mm-hmm. But she's, you know, getting back to Deadwood, Martha is definitely, she's having a hard time processing everything. I mean, she's got a lot to deal with as far as not just losing her son, but what is her status in the world at this point. Did you guys catch the luggage? It was a really brief shot. So did you think, did you think Oh, she intends to leave after the funeral? Yep. I wasn't sure whether it was her stuff or whether it was um, his, the, his his, Oh, say, is it Seth's frilly dresses that she's packing? (laughs) I didn't see, I didn't see what, what it was. I just saw that it was, you know, stuff in a Mm -hmm. trunk. She had already, yeah, but she had already talked about how she wanted, she wished she had never come, you know. But she so. talked about taking him home. Yeah, and that too, yeah, so. So, I, you know, here he was, he was getting a cough and he was in the living room. I didn't know whether she had thrown the boy's stuff into the trunk or, you know, her stuff. I wasn't quite sure whose stuff it was, but I did catch the trunk. Just, just from Seth's face, I was like, oh yeah, it's her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode had two audio commentaries. One was with Anna Gunn and Timothy Oliphant. Mm. So that's Martha and Seth. And then the other one was Ian McShane and Paula Mackelson, Al and Trixie. So uh, Anna says on the commentary that Josh was under a woolen blanket, but he was allergic to wool. Aww. <laughs> Aww. Why did they do that? I have no idea. For authenticity's a- sake. I would have, I would have liked a little more uh, information about that. She just you says know, it in passing. You, but you can. There's tons of things that look like wool that you could use, and authenticity is not having a corpse breaking out into rashes. But David Milch is crazy, so whatever, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> You're thinking of David Lynch. You're getting your Davids mixed up. No. no, I've heard crazy stories. We listened to the Stephen Tobolowsky interview on uh, "Were You or I Was There Too." <laughs> he had some funny Deadwood stories. Yeah, I hope you avoided spoilers. There was no there spoilers. Was no spoilers. Yeah, good. pretty pretty good about that. Very good. Did you ever listen to that uh, interview with Stephen Tobolowsky? I haven't. Which interview? It's on "I Was There Too," um, which is a podcast. But. Oh. Uh, haven't i've listened to steven tobolowski's uh podcast it's pretty funny he said one of the stories was that uh david milch gave him and ian mcshane a script at like midnight and he wanted to film it at 5 a.m so steven tobolowski's like okay so i can stay up all night and learn my lines or and you know what type of lines they would have like it was big big monologues and stuff yeah or he's like i could sleep for five hours and then try to fudge my way through it in the morning and he's like he didn't know what to do so he's like so i just started sobbing (laughs) (laughs) and and he like called like the production people and tried to get the scene shifted around but he couldn't so he went to sleep and in the morning he went to the the set and ian mcshane didn't know his lines either and ian's just like okay follow me so he's like, <laughs> they they started shooting, and Ian McShane's like, so, Commissioner Jari, or whatever his name is. And then he goes, line. <laughs> and, and, then, and then Stephen Tobolowsky's like, 
So Yes, uh, Mr. Swergen. Yes, Mr. Swergen. Line. <laughs> they just kept going like that for every single line. And then in the end he said they just cut it together and it made it work. <laughs> Through editing. <laughs> Ian McShane says that he did a play with Anna Gunn called The Yield of the Long Bond. I posted onto the Facebook group a link to like the the playbill for Yield of the Long Bond, and if you scroll down, you can see a photo of Ian McShane and Anna Gunn cool. together, acting together. Wu is at the gem. Al doesn't give a fuck about the burned-up whores, or that their spirits may not make it into the afterlife if their bones are not taken to China, if indeed that is what Wu meant by the plate. Wu is shocked and saddened. After he leaves, Johnny guesses that Al won't take sides during the Battle of the Jinx as long as the specter of Hurst looms over the camp. Al hopes if he shows his ass to Hearst and has Wu send the Chinese to the mines at half the rate of the San Francisco cocksucker that perhaps Hearst may determine Al is not a threat and will not interfere with these elections. Yeah, that's a lot of words. <laughs> Sorry. The casual that's a lot less words than they used. <laughs> the casual racism in this show is so jarring. <laughs> mm. But it's it's very accurate. I mean, I it's actually they're actually a lot more sensitive than they probably really were. Yeah. They're just trying to look tough, pro- I think, for the most part. Yeah. I mean, like, the the way that different minority groups were treated back then mm. is just boggling to my mind. Like, I just, I've read a lot about it, mm-hmm. and I, I still can't imagine, like, how people can treat other people like that. And I know that they didn't think that they were people, you know? Right. I mean, when you think about the fact that they had, you know, the Bronx Zoo had different races on display in the zoo. Yeah. And, and so it, it, the Museum of Natural History did too. Yeah, exactly. Like there there are many zoos all over the world did, but I mean they they would often just put people on display because they didn't think of them as people. And I just I just can't wrap my head I know it happened and I still can't wrap my head around it. My mom used to my mom was raised in Oklahoma back in the early part you know, she was born in nineteen twenty seven. And uh, her comment was that when she was growing up, um, blacks were more respected than Indians because at least um, blacks were worth money. <sighs> mm-hmm. You know, and that, that it, I mean, that's just the way people, it, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. It's just a horrible mindset. And it's still with us. It really is. I don't think it'll ever go away. Well, at least until recently, we were, our culture had decided it was a bad thing and, and not, you know, not something that was acceptable in the public consciousness. Mm. Now it's coming back again. And, you know, we're being told that it's acceptable to say really racist things. (laughs) Who's saying that? Who's saying that it's? Our politicians in the United States. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. So, but Stupid. on to on to happier thoughts. <laughs> hey, Eb has a thought for Blazanov. He can take the telegrams and keep them behind his desks for guests to collect at their leisure. Yeah, and to compensate for lost gratuities, he'll pay Blazanov five dollars a day. Blazanov <laughs> says, "No, thank you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to pass on that. That was a nice offer, but uh, no, I cannot do that." <laughs> I have a responsibility. Someone with integrity. My goodness. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I love him, by the way. Blazanoff? <laughs> yeah. He's adorable. He's so yeah. earnest. Yes, he is. He's... Well, and I love, um, is it this episode where he talks about his family? Uh, that was a previous yeah. one. That was a previous episode, right? Where he talks about, like, everything his family went through, and he's like, so these ideals? Yeah, I'm gonna live up to them. Because what? You're gonna kill me? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My family's been through worse. I watched worse. Love it. I just love him. And I've seen the actor in other things, and he always plays like a Russian tough guy. <laughs> but in this, he's so nebbish, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. He's adorable. He is adorable. Yes. Trixie has gone upstairs to see Alma. Al has told the horrors to stay off the balconies, lest they leap off from grieving over young William Bullock's death. <laughs> <laughs> Trixie's new opinion regarding Alma accepting Ellsworth's proposal is just to stay the fuck out of it. She smells Alma's drink and kisses Sophia on the head. Uh, I love it when she just picks up the glass and smells it. Yeah, that was so cute. I I like that. Trixie is is sweet with Crevlorn. She is. is. And she's such a mother hen, you know? Like, she's taking care of Alma. She's taking care of the whores. I mean, because she's also making sure that they're not going to OD. And and she sniffs the glass to make sure that Alma, you know, yeah, I'm going to stay out of your life. Okay, yeah, right. Still not on drugs. Like, she can't <laughs> help herself. Um, and I love but that. Doesn't it show some distrust? Yeah, it shows because some she distrust, knows. And I think she should trust her by now. No. No. She knows. She's an addict, too. She knows how easy it is. And yeah. and something like this, like, if you're, especially because she's so new to being a recovering addict, right? She just got off the stuff, basically. I think it's been, like, a year that she's been off the stuff. And, and Trixie had been off for quite a while. And it didn't take much for her to try to kill herself with drugs. Mm. So she knows how easy something like this could just send Alma off the deep end. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah. Addicts and are addicts. They never are fully recovered. You never stop being an addict. Plus, it's a very subtle way of Trixie showing Alma that she cares for her. Yes. Yeah. And she does. She has such a heart. She just doesn't know how to say it with words. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll read this quote from Paula Malcolmson. I had a thought the other day that she's going to start cooking for the camp because it's an, it's another nurturing thing. Mm-hmm. And also it's being in control. It's real control, the feeding of people. She's going to turn into a Jewish mother. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe if that ship works. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely got the feeling like, you know, this was her way of, you know, keeping, you know, dealing with the fact that she was totally out of control of, of what was going on and taking some control. No wonder Elle liked her so much, you know, she's, Mm -hmm. she wants to, she's almost like a, you know, like the female Elle a little bit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. except she's more caring. Well, (laughs) this has been a great season for Trixie. Yeah. Yeah. I, and again, I can't even imagine the show without her. If she really was to have been killed off in the pilot. I would have been so sad. Yeah. We get a brief scene of Blazanoff delivering telegrams. He delivers telegrams for Wolcott and Hugo Jari. Neither stoops to small talk, slamming their doors in poor Blazanoff's face. But at least Wolcott tips. Oh, that's good. And he says, thank you or something. Yeah. He, says, he, he actually says, acknowledges him. <laughs> yes. Well, Wolcott says, how are you doing today, Mr. Blazanoff? And he says, thank you. And then the door slams in his face. Uh, it's a quick little scene, but I find it humorous. Yeah. yeah. Seth asks Martha about her luggage. She says, I 
just can't bear to stay. Saul and Reverend Andy Kramer enter. Reverend Andy has some questions for the parents. Will it be fine to have the service in front of the house? Yes, as long as it's brief and private. Can I provide a detail or two about William? No. Did he have a favorite reading? Dot, dot, dot from the Bible. No, you choose something. Will people be able to view the body after the service? No! Shouts Martha. <laughs> this guy's kind of horrible. <laughs> he's, well, yeah. he's new at his job. Yeah, he's really, oof. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, this is Kevin Spacey, right? What? Uh, what? The actor, the the the, the no. minister? No. no, no. Oh my god, he looks like Kevin Spacey to me. You're fine. What? <laughs> All right. Really? The, I didn't want to check IMDb because I was like, I didn't want to get spoiled on anything, but I really thought it was. Well, hmm. we've we saw him earlier as the the guy who you know he was yeah. The thing. I thought they switched actors on us to tell you no. the truth. But it's that it's that new hair. That new haircut is awful. <laughs> it looks like Kevin Spacey's hair. I think uh, you need to take advantage of that great Canadian healthcare system and get your eyes checked. I <laughs> yeah, all. He has Thanks, been America. a lot of stuff. I don't know what stuff, but he's all been right. a lot of things. Sorry, our eye checks aren't covered. <laughs> no, but um, apparently uh, my stigmatization would have been fixed. Well, not. Probably not with my age, but uh, anyone 10 years younger than me and forward would have been covered because that's not considered uh, regular eye care. Uh, that would have been a health thing. Uh, if you catch uh, astigmatism uh, within the first three years, you can actually correct it. Wow. And OHIP and other provincial uh, health care can cover that. I found that out recently and I was like, really? I, I didn't have to have this? <laughs> I'd still have poor vision, but, you know. After Reverend Andy leaves, Seth seethes when he spots Hugo en route. He tells them, yes, Swearingen speaks with my voice. And Hugo scampers off. I kind of like that. Like, um, mm-hmm. Seth just walks like... Strides. Strides, like, angrily, like, backs him down. Hugo doesn't even get to go up the stairs. He's just... Yeah. Seth scurrying. The last thing he wants is him coming in and disturbing Martha with... Mm. This kind of nonsense. Yeah. Leon reports to Sai that Moe's and Con are on the mend, then he's off to shoot some dope. <laughs> Hugo wants to give Sai a $50,000 bribe. I wrote in my notes, I think he's trying to match that imaginary offer from Montana. This all comes down to getting Deadwood's pillars of the community to fall in league with the Yankton bureaucrats. It's interesting how, you know, um, Al's plan is working. Didn't seem like it would, but it seems to be. I don't understand any of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's important, but I really don't care too much about this storyline. And I, every time yeah. they start talking about this stuff, my eyes just glaze over and I just don't care. So, yeah. By the way, I looked up, I found the actor that plays Andy, and he's totally not Kevin Spacey. But I can <laughs> see why I thought that, because of the, the nose and everything. But because this guy's naturally bald. Oh really? Yeah, he he's Andy Lee from the or, sorry David Lee from The Good Wife. He's been in a million other things, but once you see his face, you'll know who he is. But yeah, he's he's normally balding at least, you know. Right. So that's why I was really thrown. But yeah. Well, I knew I'd seen him in a million other things, but uh, I can't mm-hmm. put my finger on which things right at the moment. He's been in everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the stuff, my take on this, this whole plot thing is that, you know, Al is trying to keep Hearst 
he's trying to keep Yankton off balance by making them think that, you know, other places want them and to raise Deadwood's um, value so they aren't taken for granted and they aren't just um, swept under the rug or, or whatever. He wants to give them some kind of pull by making it seem like Montana wants them too. Carol, I'm sorry, but my eyes just glazed over. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good about a podcast. I can't see it. So. It's not. It's not the most interesting plot. It's, it's really not. not. <laughs> but that's that's the bottom line of it. You know, oh yeah, yeah. He's just yeah. playing two sides against the middle, except right. that Montana doesn't even know that they're being played. Like they're not even really there. Right. And but, he's extorting money from the Yankton bureaucrats. He's getting he's going to yeah. get bribes. And he's and he's oh, and he's keeping Hearst at bay on other things. And he's basically just conf- trying to confuse everybody about who's playing what. And he's creating a great big mat- tangled web of insecurities among the people that, you know, his enemies in the camp and Hearst's people and Yankton's people and Psy and everything else. So he's got them all twisted up and he's getting them more twisted up all the time. And he's making himself be necessary uh-huh. so that he doesn't get displaced by other people with power. Right. And that's really all you need to know. Like, you know, the yeah. ins and outs of, of amounts of bribes and things, it's not really necessary to... Yeah, that's, to, I mean, to, that's the bottom line. That's what he's, that's what's going on in all of this. Yeah. Whenever the, they deal a lot with this stuff, though, my rating for the show always goes down. Mm-hmm. You hear that show? Yeah, you hear that show? Really <laughs> fast. Uh, <laughs> I I could time travel and, like, tell them. <laughs> yeah, really. The she-apes at the gem are sobbing. Al consents to allowing them to pay their respects to the Bullock family, although Trixie will have to get permission from the family first via Saul. As for Al being allowed at the funeral, why the fuck would he want to go? I love that. She apes. <laughs> she apes. And they're just crying in the background. They didn't know the kid, but it's like, oh, the, the humanity of it all. <laughs> they just want to get some time off work. Do you think that's what it is? <laughs> I don't know. No, I think, uh, I mean, their lives, if you think about it, their lives are so small. There is so little that they have. They are basically cooped up in that house uh, or that saloon all the time. Are they uh, even allowed to have kids? No, because they are given tea like, to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, yes, that's, that's the thing. Had, like, they probably had so many abortions. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they're probably mourning for themselves as well. You know, exactly, or, and if so they wanted children. Like, well, you know. any little thing like this will be huge in their lives because their lives are so small. Also, small towns. Yeah, <laughs> that's just the yeah. way it is in small towns. <laughs> and and they they have nothing outside of themselves, so they cling to any little scraps of anything. Yeah. I mean, we we heard. Uh, in a previous episode about how the biggest thing that would happen in a town like this is the stagecoach is coming in. So whether you were expecting something on the stage or not, you would go because that was your excitement for the month. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or the, the bicycle thing. What about the bicycle thing? Well, just the bicycle race. Everybody was like, wow, yeah, bicycle exactly. race. You know? So. And and normally, the whores aren't even allowed to go out and watch those things. Mm-hmm. They can check it out from the balcony, maybe, if Al lets them. Yeah. Well, he's he's afraid to let them on the balcony now. They'll throw themselves over. 
Also, people in general just tend to make things about themselves. Like, if mm-hmm. some drama is yes. happening, like, now I can be part of the drama. Yay. Yeah. Like, you, you can't tell anybody about, a, like, a bad experience about yourself. Like, let me tell you about my father who just died or something. And they'll be like, you think that's bad? Let, I can top that. Let me <laughs> let me hijack the conversation that is about you and make it all about me now. Like, yeah. And that could be a little bit of what they're doing, too. Mm. Hysterics... Just for yeah. the sake of, his, of of hysterics. Yeah. Going along with what you said, um, when there's been a lot of um, when celebrities die or something, I was listening to somebody talking about uh, who was a friend of I don't remember whether it was Robin Williams or you know one of the a celebrity who who passed away and people were coming out of the woodwork, um, <laughs> you know, basically saying oh i'm you know grief stricken and they were like you didn't even know him he was my friend you know um and of course somebody like that does mean something to people and in a way considering how few kids there are around there he was probably in his own way kind of like a little celebrity yeah and mm-hmm. uh it was well, like we you know, we know he, was- he liked the ladies and and well he's the sheriff's kid right Mm -hmm. everybody was trying to talk to him and be friendly to him i mean steve was trying to talk to him and be friendly to him uh the owner of the of the 10 saloon you know was like oh why don't you help me with my bicycle you know like everybody wanted to talk to william when he was alive so it's not that surprising that i mean essentially like who are the people that we need to know in the town of Deadwood. Well, the sheriff is really important. And Al's kind of important, but nobody really knows Al. Unless you're in that circle. But also, And that's it. But also, people tend to gravitate towards kids. Yeah. Like, a lot of people, you know, like, they like kids. And if there was no kids there, you know, yep. then there's no, there's no real, like, you know, like, kids are kind of innocent and they're joyful, you know. So it's fun to watch them. And that's probably why they gravitated towards him. Because it was, he was fun to be around, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the gem horrors. I've got a paragraph about them from the book Pioneer Days in the Black Hills. Author John McClintock writes, Notwithstanding that churches and theaters had sprung up early in the new town and were fairly well supported, the old gem theater outstripped them all and flourished, probably beyond the wildest dreams of its dissolute and degraded promoter, Al Swearingen. The rear end of the long building was cut up into small rooms. It was here that he kept under strict surveillance his herd of so-called female employees, when in fact they were on the level of white slaves. His first installment of these unfortunate creatures were indeed a motley crew of ungainly features and uncertain ages. However, they carried out their contracts as long as they were physically able to do so. Mm. Herd. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like- the, the real the real elsewhere engine was not a nice person. No. That's not surprising. No. The bath water at the Shesame is hot, hot! (laughs) (laughs) Joni says, well, you need a bath, Jane. Finally, she climbs into the tub. That is so good. This whole scene is adorable. I love it. Yeah, it was great. Were you guys surprised to see her in a state of undress? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't, I would, that would have been the last person I thought I would have seen naked. Yeah, I actually like if you told me I was watching Jane take a bath, I'd think she'd still be in her onesie. <laughs> she keeps her onesie on. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, that's how you wash the onesie at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Well, I like that she has the same thought that everybody does about bath, about bathing. Like, mm-hmm. aren't you just in your own filth? Like, 
You're not really getting clean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Joni well, is like, Joni, Joni is, quit trying to get out of this. Take a bath. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know Joni's sitting there going, I guess I got to change the bath water once. Jane no. Because, ew. I was kind of surprised at how clean Jane looked from the face down. But yeah. Then I guess, you know, if you've got leather yep. on all the time. She probably smelled so bad. Yeah, though. you're going to yeah. sweat like crazy. But <laughs> Yeah, not- you're not going to have, like, dirt on you, but you're definitely going to have filth. You know, like like right. a right. layer of dead skin Ew! and, and <laughs> right. ick. Exactly. You know, yeah. something we didn't mention earlier was, you know, in those scenes with, um, what's his name? The, the guy who was shot. Um, Mose, Mose Manuel. Yeah, I have a note about basically the, the bonding between, uh, Jane and Joni that was going mm-hmm. on there. Was, By the way, Joni looks the best she ever did in this episode. Did anyone she'll... notice that? Hmm? No, not at all. Ex- oh, she's Except got this. Except Go ahead, sorry. When, except when things were really bad, she always has looked good. But yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's gorgeous. Yeah. But in this episode, I mean, with the gold vest, which was absolutely gorgeous, um, she just, I don't know, she just, she looked so, I, I, so good. I was just kind of pulled out, out of my seat. I was like, wow, Joni looks amazing. But yeah. maybe that's just me. <laughs> but yeah. There was a glow about her. I It's sort of like... I think she's taking care of Moe's. It's kind of like she's found mm-hmm. a purpose, kind of yep. like Jane had when she was taking care of the sick patients. It's sort of like, we can take care of people and, and that'll get us through whatever awfulness is in our lives. Mm-hmm. Which is true. I mean, like what she, she's just been through something really traumatic, but now she can actually, instead of sit there and dealing with it, she can actually help people. Uh-huh. And somebody lived in her establishments that have just died yeah 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 that's actually that's huge <laughs> it's a wonderful scene in um earlier when Joni was over moe's jane says something like oh he's gonna think he went to heaven when he sees yeah him. like yeah, yeah that was so sweet that was that was really a, a nice can i ship jane and Joni now well, <laughs> <laughs> you want it's been said that Joni has a i don't know an inclination toward mm-hmm. women well, she, yeah. it was implied by Psy, so yep. we don't know if that's you know, true. Well, we've seen her kiss women and stuff. Yeah, we've seen her. She she definitely, um, if if she doesn't have an inclination towards women, she has seems to have been putting one on for you know for Psy or for someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, th- I mean that's kind of my point. Like she c- could just be playing the part that Psy cast her in. Yeah, she could. But or she could like women. Yeah, well, so, and she has know. this thing about wanting to protect other women. Um, you know, she tried to do it for Veronica Mars. Um, she did it for the women that were working for her. She she tried to do it for the uh, one that was murdered. But when she wasn't able to save her, she saved the other ones. Um, she's always been a bit of like a nice mother hen kind of a thing. I mean, yeah, she's coaxing women into being whores and everything but at the same time like i don't know i think she's always been very nurturing towards women and she has this thing of she feels good when she's taking care of another woman didn't veronica mars also like basically indicate that she knew that Joni was attracted yeah. to women 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, I can move the dike when back. Yeah. 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 Joni's uh, turning out of women dates back to her childhood. Her backstory mm-hmm. was that her father made her and her sisters into whores, like in their, at their farm. And yeah. Like she was a whore first and then she had to get her sister to be a whore or something like right, that. Right. Right. Something yeah. like that. So, uh, certainly go ahead and ship them if you want to. Oh, I will. What would, I don't know what the shipper name would be, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little difficult. JJ. JJ. There you go. Um, because that, yeah. that's okay. I end up just shipping all, none of my ships actually happen, but, you know, that's okay. Trixie asks Saul if the whores might pay their respects. Saul says the service is outside the home. All in the camp are welcome. Then he asks, why did you go to him? Meaning Al. She's been a prostitute all her life, and her natural instinct is to go to her pimp. She'd learn another way if you could show her. Aww. That was so that, sweet. That was, yeah, it was more than sweet, though. I thought it was incredibly insightful. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. very um, self, oh, I can't even come up with the words right at the moment. But, you know, like, really amazingly understanding of who she is and and what the what the mindset is yeah very astute self-analysis uh, yeah. analysis not everyone right. can tell you why they do things mm-hmm. the things they do mm-hmm. yeah. uh-huh. i love the way that she said now hold on to this <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm going to tell you something that may shake your world a little bit <laughs> i'm going to speak to you as though you're you know a very small child I wonder if she was practicing that in her head, the explanation. Like he's next time I see him, he's going to ask me why I went to Al. And so she thought about it for a while, and then she came up with the answer and had it prepared. She probably I, did because she probably knew he would ask her. Yeah. Well, I think the question been asking her like it's a it's a big it's like an issue between them, right? Like this. Yeah. Al? Oh yeah. It's been coming up for a while. I mean, you know, it's it's been implied over and over again, and now he just finally said it outright. Yep. Al refuses to do business with Hugo on the day of his godson's passing. That was brilliant. <laughs> Love that. that was great. <laughs> Hugo wonders if Al might be using the pretense of grief as a stalling tactic. Hmm, you think? Al rejects <laughs> any dollar over the 50000 already negotiated, but implies he'll entertain some sort of enhancement to the bribe that is not currency. Well, Hugo will use his imagination to think up this counter without currency. What do you think that that's about? What's Al after now? He doesn't Favors. have money. I Favors. Don't care. Okay. I don't Mel care. Mel doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Shut up, Al. Al <laughs> wants Al wants the power to be in Deadwood, not in Yankton. He doesn't mm-hmm. want Yankton to be in control when it comes to government. He doesn't want them to be the ones making decisions for Deadwood. So in order for that to happen, that's the bribery they need. They need to be part of the official government proceedings. Yep. And so they need to have a seat there. Yep. And they've got a couple different people that could do it. Either Seth or Saul mm-hmm. would probably be the, the ones. I don't think Al ever wants to be the one in charge. He always wants to be the guy behind the one in charge. Exactly. You know, it's like, uh, who, who are we going to have for mayor? Uh, EB, you want to be mayor? Go right ahead. And it's like, Al really is the mayor. You know, he's mm-hmm. the one... You know, in the in the in the slang term of it, Al is the mayor. Al is the one that decides what's going on. If you want to do something big in Deadwood, you run it by Al. I mean, even Sai comes to Al when it's something really serious. Um, 
So Al never wants to be that person, but he wants to make sure it's someone from Deadwood and someone he can influence. Feels like EB's right. been out of the picture for a while. He's just like, we get like one scene with him in his hotel. And yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, it's his own fault. If he didn't go working with Cy and Hurst and all those other people and working against uh, uh, Al, he'd be on the ends. It's his own darn fault. Yeah. He's too stupid. He is. He's too stupid to live, as my mother would say. <laughs> Reverend Andy arrives at the Bella Union. Cy thinks Andy's conversion is a con, but Andy insists that he was reborn in the plague tent. Mm-hmm. Cy doesn't buy it. He schooled Andy on the arts of deception, and he's upset about being left out of the loop. When Andy further insists he's sincere, Cy throws him out of the Bella Union and says if he catches Andy operating, he'll nail him to a tree. <laughs> the, the, I was reborn in the plague tent. I'm part man, part plague now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's this scene that makes me think that uh, Andy is sincere. Yeah. The knock on the head was very condescending. Yeah. That yeah. was awful. Yeah. God, he's Size so... Awesome person, though. He's so gross. McFly! Yeah. McFly, anybody else? <laughs> for, some reason, for some reason, I've always thought Andy was sincere. I don't know why. Yeah, he mm. seems like he doesn't strike me at all as trying to con anyone. No, it's true. He did. Although apologize. it did take me until now <laughs> to realize that that was the same Andy. Mm. <laughs> it was I don't mentioned. think his last name. I thought it was Kevin Spacey at this point, so give me some slack. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean because I always want to say creamed. I always want to say creamed. Creamed. Andy creamed. <laughs> I had no idea what his name was. I didn't remember, but um, it was mentioned a few times that it's the same guy. Yeah, I just I didn't pick it up. There's yeah. a lot. Of, I didn't think William was dead. Apparently, I don't watch this show very well. <laughs> no, but it's always like it's always telling you that things happened, but very subtly, and then you don't find out until the next episode that that thing actually happened. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. You can actually, confirm it. So it, this is what every episode is like. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. The, a lot of people in the previous podcast were uh, confused. Like, is he alive now? Dead now? Yeah, yeah. I guess they don't make it clear. No, yeah. they don't. And I can't. You watch the next episode. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember how I felt watching it the first time. Like, did I, was I also unsure? I don't know. I think, I felt like it, the scene telegraphed that he was doomed. Like, yeah, I've, I've been convinced since the, he got hit by the horse and was laying there in the street. I just, it was like, okay, he's dead. Yeah, but until they tell you he's dead. Oh, yeah, no, you're you right. don't know for sure. And right. that's what oh, they absolutely. always do. They don't tell you until the next episode. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's just, I think I didn't have that same visceral thing that Nutty did about, you know, um, damn you. (laughs) 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 Because I already had the shock of it because I was really pretty shocked when he, I mean, I don't know why it was kind of, they telegraphed it like crazy. And yet, I mean, I knew somebody was going to get it, but I just, for some reason, didn't think of the kid. I don't know why. Yeah. And so I had that shock two episodes ago, but then it's like, you know, okay, he's dead. I had that shock ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I I also have the whole thing where, until I learned from your last podcast episode why William was being uh, killed off, I kept thinking they're killing William off so Seth and Alma can get back together, and it just made me angry. Yeah. I, 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 I wish they would. Yeah. 
Ew, no. <laughs> like, even though I was totally feeling the Salma, you, you uh-huh. converted me and I felt the Salma. Yeah. I just felt that that was just horrible. Let's kill the kid. And then in my head, like, then the mom's going to kill herself so that, because she's so grief stricken. And I was just like, no, no, that's disgusting. I don't like that. <laughs> so. Well, I don't think that she'd kill herself. She, more likely she would get, go back to Michigan. Dude, I kept thinking she yeah. was going to off herself the entire episode. Are you kidding me? I I was wondering when she ran back into the house. Part of me was like, uh, shouldn't somebody go in there and make sure that she's not going to do something really stupid? Yeah. Mm. Wow. I've the house blows up. I've known um a few <laughs> no. mothers of only children, and um, I don't know. There's something not that mothers who have more children don't have these same feelings, but they have more children that they have to take care of. Um, but so many mothers that have only children, if something were to happen to their child, if their child were to die, like they wouldn't know how to go on. You know, your, your life is so wrapped up in that single child sometimes. And especially when you look at somebody like Martha, I mean, essentially she's been a single mom of one child. Her every reason for existing is now gone. Like she's going to stick around for what, Seth? Really? So I just, I kept. I kept waiting for it to happen, and I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't happen. But did, did you have in mind uh, a method of suicide? Like, were you picturing her slitting her wrists or hanging herself? Or oh, you know, I don't even know. I did not stones have in her pockets, in walking into a into a lake. Uh, I uh, didn't even know. No, it uh, it when she when she ran back into the house, it it occurred to me. I you know what means would she have to kill herself Mm. um but that was the only time i thought about that specifically but you know you're absolutely right about the whole you know thing i i was thinking about it the other day just you know because there's a lot of there's a lot of death going on everywhere around Mm -hmm. right now um in pretty much everybody's life i know people are losing people very suddenly and um you know just the idea if something happened to my son, I really have no idea if I could even go on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we got on the topic of Martha. We're <laughs> still, I still wanted to talk a little bit about Psy, because I have this quote here from Powers Booth. Tolliver is, for the most part, more measured than Swearingen. Tolliver doesn't explode as often, but when he does, it means something pretty big. David told me that those characters had mothers who were whores. The difference was I was raised in a whorehouse and Swearingen was raised in an orphanage. You see your mother fucking Johns and whatever, it puts something in you. Toward the end of the second season, David told me I'm the only character around where no one knows my whole card. Every other character has revealed their whys and wherefores. That makes him, in our world, a very lonely and isolated figure. I don't think Al explodes more than Psy. Maybe because half the time I feel like Al is doing it for dramatic effect more than yeah, actually right. being angry. Seems like Sai yeah. is always genuinely grumpy. It's when, yeah, so, yeah. It's when Al's quiet that you have to worry. Mm-hmm. That's the scary time. Mm-hmm. Like half the time I I get the feeling that Al is when he explodes, he does it for effect. Um there's always method behind everything with him. But as you say, when he gets quiet, that's when you have to really be worried with Al. Psy, he seems to blow up in reality more often. Like he's always at like a simmer 
Almost like Seth, but Seth isn't mean and Sai is. I wonder if this opinion then of Powers Booth is based more on the early Al. Like in the pilot, when he exploded mm. at Trixie, put his foot on her throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So maybe that was where the opinion of that character was formed. We've we've seen over time that he's kind of been softened. Or he's reading the scripts as opposed to necessarily seeing the performance. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Because when you read the script, if it says, you know, angrily or something like that. Or maybe know. the performance he saw was not the one that they ended up using on the show. He was yeah. on set one day and and that was the scene he saw, but then they redid it and was a little Ian was a little more toned down. I don't know. Who knows? Also, mm-hmm. quite honestly, uh, performances look very different. Um, it, performances look do. very different to other actors than they do to the audience. Well, they probably it, like the way they edit them too. It changes quite yes, a bit sometimes. But it's it's a very different perception. I've I've had um, in theater. I've had people have one opinion of another actor's performance when they've been on stage with them, and then when they've had a chance to watch the show um, because they had a night off or something, all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, now I see what you're doing. And I've heard so many times actor, screen actors and such say, you know, it looked like the other actor wasn't doing anything, and then I saw it on screen, and it was like, oh, my God, now I see what you're doing. And um, it's just, perception is very different. David Milch says, Swearingen was a very different character before I met Ian McShane. Physically, Ian was absolutely wrong for the part. I didn't even want him to read. I had imagined Swearingen as a physically imposing specimen. But when Ian came in, he neutralized all of that, because he had Swearingen's essence, which was fierce matter-of-factness. He was who he was, unadulterated. Swearingen's language would never have existed in the way that it does if Ian McShane hadn't looked so wrong for the part. He was just so tough. He walked in to do the audition, and he just picked up the room by the scruff of the neck, <gasps> shook it for a few minutes, dropped us, and walked out. Aww. <laughs> I'm just picturing David Milch as a dog now. Just being, like, <laughs> shaking around. <laughs> Is that what you do to dogs? No. Oh, I, know, I know you're cat people. Yeah, I know some people do it to dogs. What? Well monsters i know (laughs) bunch of monsters i'm thoroughly impressed with ian mcshane's acting just from this alone god it's so Um, fantastic he's he's so great and we're gonna get to a really good al scene now he's meeting with the san francisco cocksucker al tells him cool it with the burning of the bodies on the day of my godson's funeral you ought not to offend the grieving father's nose also put off whatever violence you're plotting between yourself and woo yeah he's just using that kid's death to help his plans along in every single way he can. Just amazing. <laughs> but it, it the, at the same time, like William's death does affect him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's using it to his advantage, but at the same time, William's death is affecting him. Um. So I got I got a little bit of information. Um. About. Wu and Mr. Lee. Uh, while we were talking, I did a little Googling, and according to this Reddit that was discussing the episode... Um, Should have used Bing, the official search engine of the no. podcast. Nope. <laughs> no. And, uh, I don't like Bing. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that they were talking about is how Wu, when he's fighting with Mr. Lee, he shows him his braid. Do you guys remember that? He picks up his braid as he's yelling at him. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, because Lee has short hair and is dressed like a white man, essentially. Um, and, and Wu is trying to show him that, you know, he is still traditional. He is Chinese. You're not. And then he <laughs> called him, uh, a white ghost or a white devil in Canada. Oh. Lo. Yeah. Guai Lo Kaksaka. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, that means? Mm-hmm. yep, that's what that means. Yeah, that's a, that's a, you know, a racist slur for white people in oh. the Chinese language. Huh. Yeah. And according yeah. to this Reddit, one of the reasons that he shows him his hair and one of the reasons why his hair is so important. This is me trying to find out if Wu was wearing a wig, or the actor playing Wu was wearing a wig, um, is, uh, because in the Chinese culture, if you were to cut your hair, you, the sentence is death. You're not allowed to cut your hair. Really? Yeah. What's the reason behind that? It's a it's a traditional thing. I they didn't go too into detail there. That's um, interesting. But yeah, it's Boy, it's, if you want to be a, a hairdresser or a barber, you've Yeah, China, you're out of luck. Yeah, hard <laughs> hard time making a living. Yeah. So, um you you uh you need to just Anyway, they have the men have to keep their hair long and they're not allowed to cut it. That's why they would have that braid going all the way down and uh that's one of the reasons why he he was showing him that and and one of the reasons he's like look this guy he's not even uh he's not even chinese like i i guess he was trying to point out um i also i couldn't find the plate but he was pointing to different parts of the plate and i found like the different dialects of china and he was pointing to an area that does not speak cantonese so there could also be something to do with that, that, that has a lot to do with it. Um, cause I really feel like that where he was pointing was a, was a big, was a big point there. But, yes. uh, there's so much like depth in this little thing that this small like C plot that we don't even know what's going on because we don't have, we don't speak Cantonese and they're not giving us translations, but there's so much going on. It's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. This is a really good show. <laughs> I really appreciate all of yeah. the work and effort that they put into these little storylines. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny is super eager to go to the funeral. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mention earlier when uh, Dan banged his fist on the table and Johnny imitated him. I thought that was great. <laughs> that was really cute. Oh, <laughs> I miss that somehow. Oh, he's a little puppy. Yeah, he was just trying to be, like, he saw, like, Dan was just, like, trying to, you know, uh, he's like, yeah, let's go accent, to work. Accent his, like, you know, his point that he had just said, so he banged his fist on the table, and then J- Johnny was looked at him, and he's like, yeah, and then he did the same thing. <laughs> kind of like a little kid, you know, like. <laughs> the Are we at the point where they're talking about superstitions? Oh, my God. <laughs> I no, 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 not yet. We have okay. To, we should pick up the pace a bit here. <laughs> That's actually uh, two scenes from now. Wolcott wants to buy Evie's hotel. Evie freaks the fuck out. Those cocksuckers are taking away everything. You could just <laughs> say no. Yeah, you could just say no. But I guess the um, his feeling is that if Hearst wants his hotel, Wolcott wants to buy the hotel because Hearst wants the hotel. Hearst gets what he wants. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be no way to stop him. So yeah. it's either you give him what he wants. Or you get run over. Yeah. Either way, they take everything from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just so sick of being used. Well, and he's probably case, right. In that he's case, probably- ask for a lot and then move. <laughs> yeah, start another hotel. Yeah. They'll probably take 
whatever it is they want. Johnny brings a dead finch into the gem. He <laughs> says, it's a sign that there has been a death. And then he chucks it outside. <laughs> I love that. Dan has been shining his and Elle's boots. Johnny announces he's purchased new boots, which appalls Dan because you can't wear anything new to a funeral. My God, Johnny, what are you thinking? Another superstition. <laughs> Trixie has confiscated some needles from the girls. And then she's appalled by the boots on the bar. Oh my God, Dan, what are you thinking? Boots on the bar. She sprinkles some whiskey across the threshold to ward off the evil. And Johnny observes she must have brought that from the other side. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm guessing the uh, you know the other side of the world, as in the old country. Mm, okay, that that was my guess on that. But. Well, the actress is Irish, but I Trixie doesn't have the accent, so I thought maybe unless there's a backstory for Trixie that she came over from another country, from Ireland, and that's her backstory. We just haven't heard it. A lot of people, I mean, at that point, you know, they're if they didn't come over, then their parents came over. Mm-hmm. And I okay. I also thought maybe the other side, we've known, know that Trixie has tried to kill herself like twice, at least once, if not twice, she's overdosed. And maybe he's saying other side, like she passed over, died temporarily and has this knowledge. I, I thought of that and I thought, oh, that just seems like it's stretching it a bit. But mm -hmm. yeah, I did, I did wonder about that. Yeah. I love how this scene escalates. Like each thing is like more in like, appalling to the next person like a finch that's crazy boots in the bar that's crazy like are any of these superstitions <laughs> like actual superstitions or did they just make them up oh i'm sure they probably yeah i mean i don't know if they are in our reality but i'm right. sure they are they are things that these people believe in oh no that i get i just meant in our reality are these actual you know superstitions or not <laughs> i don't know I don't know. There's so many. I can never keep the. I had don't wear anything me. new to a funeral. Sounds like it could be real. The bird thing, I think, is real. Okay, so maybe they are all real. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's decided. They're not. <laughs> yeah, the the not wearing new things to a funeral. I don't know if that's that seems like common etiquette. Like the really? idea you don't want to you don't want to show anybody up. Like, turn it into, again, make it all about you. What, the fancy thing you're wearing. Uh, by the really? way, boots on a bar is a real th a real superstition. Well, really? you should uh, boots on it, a bar anyways. Yeah. Gross. It's gross. Shoes on a table is basically what it's root rooted back to. You never uh, put shoes on a table anyways. It's gross. I, I don't think you're, supposed, you're not supposed to put shoes on a bed either. Ugh. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> that, just, that I mean, that just re I just remembered there was a whole thing about Putting shoes on a bed was like really, really bad. And dead a dead bird is supposed to be bad luck. <laughs> I know that. I just love the way Johnny chucks that bird. Yeah. <laughs> it means there has been a death and he throws it out. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we know there's been a death. But he was like so gentle with it and he's like <laughs> <"Eh."> <laughs> This comes from weirdisland.co.uk. Shoes on a table are bad luck. No, it's just people said that. People said that because they didn't want their kids to put shoes on the table. So they would tell them it's bad luck. And they'd be like, oh, okay, I won't do it. You know, it's not. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Let me read this, I bet me you read this one thing. 
When I was a small child, my father worked for the British Coal Board as an engineer, and I was frequently chastised if I ever put my shoes on the table. When I asked about it, my father told me that in mining communities, the only time boots or shoes were placed on the table was when the family was informed of the death of a miner. His boots would be placed on the table to show that he was dead. After that, placing shoes or, shoes or boots on the table was seen as either tempting fate or in poor taste. Seeing someone's shoes on the table could severely frighten anyone if they didn't know that the person was alive and well. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. So, what are some crazy superstitions you guys have heard in your lives? And you roll your eyes every time somebody does it. Matt's mother believes that uh, you should, if a rocking chair is rocking and there's no one sitting in it, it means that someone's going to die. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah. She freaks Don't out. Don't put any you... rocking chairs out on the porch then. Oh. She gets she freaks out if you get up from the rocking chair and just walk away without stopping to make sure it's not oh moving God. first. She also Stop killing people, Matt. She, she also a... believes the umbrella thing, like if you have an open umbrella inside, mm-hmm. like she you can tell she gets stressed out right away. Which wow. I don't I don't understand personally. Wow wowza wowza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mother-in-law is pretty superstitious, and every time my husband reacts to something, and he's like, it'll do like the salt thing or whatever, he's like, oh, my mom would scream, and I'm like, but really? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it seems like everything else is so rational. Yeah. The Carol, str- you were going to say? The strangest one I ever dealt with was um, I was going to uh, an acting school where we had a lot of international students, and I brought lilacs in um, for the teacher. And uh, had them on the table next to him. And as people started coming in, this one girl from the UK, I'm not sure where she was from, uh, England, somewhere in England, I'm not sure where, um, came in and freaked out. Hmm. She was like, lilacs, you can't bring lilacs in the house. Lilacs in the house is death. And I was, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And she was, she was adamant. I mean, this girl had just, you know, she had blanched white. I mean, she was just really, really upset. And I was assuring her that we bring lilacs in the house all the time and it's fine. And right after her, after we were having this discussion, this girl from France walked in the, the, uh, room and I just took a chance and I said, uh, do you have lilacs in the house in France? And she said, of course, they're wonderful. They smell great. They're, they're wonderful. And I was like, okay, so whatever spirits are in England that don't like <laughs> lilacs in the house can't even make it across the English Channel. They certainly couldn't make it across the Atlantic Ocean. Yes. <laughs> and the girl was like, okay. <laughs> really? Well, you're so clever. <laughs> that usually... You Go explain ahead. something to somebody, you know, on logical terms, it doesn't matter because yeah. they're already operating from a place of exactly. But what this I would is call this craziness, is but logical superstitious term. Yeah, no, that yeah. was like some Douglas Adams way of thinking. You know, okay, I'm gonna subscribe to your reality, and I'll figure out how to make you understand this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was taking, it was acknowledging her reality, and and suggesting that you know giving her an alternate that she could live with mm, that still acknowledged her reality yeah so i took the chance and it worked out and she was awesome. okay you know for the rest of, she i don't know how nervous she was throughout that class but the lilacs were sitting there all the way through class so well, that's good but that uh. was the weirdest oh my brother told me why later oh uh, yeah he said that uh lilacs were one of the 
favored plants of the uh, pagan fairies and, and such in the British Isles and Nordic countries. And so lilacs and some of the other plants like holly and, and, and others um, that were thought to be favored by the fairies, if you had them in your house, it literally could be death because with the British version of the Inquisition and so forth, if you were thought to be a secret pagan or something like that, you could be, you could be brought up. That's very uh, interesting. Yeah. So it actually, um, it wasn't a, you know, it was an actual thing. You actually could end up tortured or dead wow. for having, uh, plants in the house that were thought that, that could have been there because you were uh, a secret pagan. Mm. That's really wild. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I think the one that makes me roll my eyes and, and angers me the most, not anger, but you know, I just, I'm like, why is, uh, when people lose something and then they pray to St. Anthony for it? Oh yeah. Poor St. Anthony. I know. I terrible for the guy. <laughs> it's just like, he, he's not hiding your things. You know, St. Anthony isn't a brownie. He didn't hide your things and you have to like pray to him to get it back. And they're like, no, no, but he'll help me find it. No, he won't. You'll just find it. Because instead of thinking about where it is, you're thinking about something else. I just, I, I find, don't know. <laughs> I just felt so bad. This guy was martyred. You know, he, he went through all kinds of hell dying. And now he is stuck in a place where people are just constantly asking him to find stuff for them? Yeah. <laughs> really? Is that well, the way to reward this guy for, you know? I, th- I thought he was, but isn't he taking stuff? No. 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 Who's, no. who's, who's hiding, who's hiding the things? Brownies. Speaking of asking for strange requests, oh. though, I'm pretty sure God gets that all the time, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, like, pray. I, I need to pray for this. It's like when, when people pray for, like, random stuff that has that isn't very important. And you're like, you know what? It'd be really nice if God could, you know, listen to somebody's prayer about their their kid who's who's about to die because he got hit by, run over by a horse, but instead he's listening to you talk about your job and, you know, will you lose a couple pounds at Weight Watchers or whatever <laughs> other trivial thing that you've decided to pray about. Works yeah, in I never, mysterious I never, ways. <laughs> I never really understood how that was honoring God. Yeah. When they say people should pray and all of that, it's like, well, if you're asking for stuff, why is that? Yeah, no. that's not praying. Like that's 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 one of the things that drives me crazy because to me, prayer uh-huh. is meditation. Prayer is you thinking on a topic and working through it yourself, and you're 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 bringing your best intentions to it, and and that's prayer. You know, prayer is thinking about God. It's not asking God for things. It's thinking about God. It's it's thinking how can I incorporate these teachings into my life? Yada yada yada. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. But so many people view it as like God is a genie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor Saint Anthony is going to help you find stuff, you know. And, and well, you so know, at least at least God is like supposed to be this all-knowing, you know, huge yeah. presence. That's you know, Saint Anthony's one guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's he's just a guy <laughs> who who had you know was able to do some miracles and and died horribly. Um, you know, and now he's he's stuck. Being constantly pestered to find things. Well, he complains about it, but you know he secretly likes it. <laughs> he likes being needed. All right, I haven't talked to him, so I don't know. 
St. Anthony. He's just this guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, uh, if Saint, I always Saint feel Anthony bad for St. Anthony. let us know, he could probably send us a uh, voicemail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, St. Anthony, if, if you want to get on the podcast, send us an email, hoopalcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. We'd love to hear your complaints about this. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or join the Facebook group. We're on- <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> We're on your side in this. Alma tells Sophia, even when she thinks she can't cope with difficult things, she finds she can. She asks Sophia to trust her with her sadness. The girl kisses her, and Alma suggests they go say goodbye to William Bullock. That was a very sweet... There's a lot of bonding in this in this episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we haven't really seen Alma be, like, a gentle mother. Like, mm-hmm. she's present in Sophia's life, and tutoring her, giving her rock candy out of places. <laughs> rock candy probably shouldn't be. Um, but this is, like such a moment of connection and just warmth. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved it. It was really nice. Yeah, it's we haven't really seen many scenes between the two of them actually, like at all. They're just in the same room together most of the time. Yeah, when's she going to get some lines? <laughs> she may have been a terrible actress, you don't know. Maybe. Trixie has assembled the horrors for inspection. There is to be no use of needles or shoving of dope up yourselves, and I will be checking before we leave. Al tells Trixie she's accountable because he's not going to the funeral. Shut the door behind you. (laughs) This is fantastic. It's very fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I just have... have Get the horrors ready. (laughs) I have, like, two quotes just from these, like, this particular part of the episode. Mm. Uh... One of my notes is, who knew there were so many kinds of cock breath? (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone have anything to add to this? No, just that it was really great. It was great, lining up the troops. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) It it was more of, you know, Trixie taking care of things and being Mother Hen. Mm -hmm. It was pretty great. Yeah, she's been so awesome all season. I love Mm. her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like that Al just continues to say... uh, I don't care. I'm not interested. Like, mm-hmm. why would I go to the funeral and right. shut the door? But he can't resist going out onto the balcony and watching from a, a distance. There's nothing else going on. <laughs> well, I feel like he just doesn't want to be seen as vulnerable or weak. Mm. But he he still wants to know. He's curious and it, cares in his own way. I miss, the, I miss the head in the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened to that? He opened it. Probably well, yeah, you could have closed it and kept it. Once you open it, it's not fresh anymore. <laughs> it's like when you, like, you know, you open a thing of milk or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, it's past its expiration date. <laughs> it was during the scene, though, that I, I kind of remembered his brother and it was like, oh, he's, he's not, he doesn't just not care about this funeral. He really doesn't want to go to this funeral because of, of how he's feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's afraid he might cry. He might be. Yeah. You can't, can't let the, the minions see you act. No. Long. Can't let them see you be emote. Weak. <laughs> yeah. Although well, he's going to be tough. He was already kind of weakened by the, the um, kidney stones or whatever. That's so, true. So, I mean, but he's still proud, you know. Yeah. That's just yeah. his character. He doesn't want people to see him in those moments. He also may just not be able to deal with it at all. That's you know, true. Forget being afraid of how he would act and all of that. I mean, there's some people who just can't go to hospitals and, you know, 
can't do these things. And with his background and everything, it might just be one of those things where he can't go to a funeral of somebody. Somebody get out of the paper bag. He's hyperventilating. (laughs) My, my husband won't go to uh, funerals for anybody that he knows. Mm. Um, so if it's somebody in his family who has passed, he does not go to the funerals because he doesn't want to remember, he doesn't want that to be his last memory. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he's been to many funerals where it's out of obligation because, well, a friend of yours, somebody close to them has passed or it's a military funeral or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been to a lot then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can understand not wanting to go because if you've been to so many, like it just, it's to you, right? Like, it's hard. Absolutely. I can understand yeah. not wanting to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But people always expect you to go. And they yeah. expect certain things from you. Like, that person's not grieving enough. She doesn't seem upset enough that her mm-hmm. husband's dead. Like, mm-hmm. or she's, or look how upset she's being now. She's, she's carrying on. It's yeah. like, mm-hmm. there's, mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. People just you like just, to judge. Yes. They like to judge and you just can't win and mm-hmm. you're either grieving too much or not enough. And it's like, you know what? Maybe it's about me and not about you. And yep. I, I just can't grieve in the right way for you. Like I'm, you know, that gets me really frustrated. Like people should be allowed to be as upset or not as upset as they want to be. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one thing we've always said is that funerals are not for the dead. They're for the living. Right. Mm-hmm. And once you can put that into mind, you know, the person who has passed doesn't know if you're there or not. It doesn't matter. No. Um, It's about the people who are going to the funeral. And so if it's someone you lost, it's completely up to you how you grieve and what you do. And if it's not someone that was close to you, but someone close to you lost someone, you're not there for the person who passed. You're there for that person as support. And that's, that's just how I think about it. Cause they're yeah. not, they're, 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 the person who passed has no idea if you're at their funeral or not. Some mm. people would say that they do though, like that they're watching or they're there in spirit. But if they, if they do and they're watching, then they see the emotions you're having, whether you go or not. Yeah. Well, it should yeah. be that way. But again, you're applying logic to something that's that true. These are probably the same people who pray to St. Anthony to get their stuff back. Right. <laughs> you, you can't always, which is why I was shocked that Carol's logic worked on that person because <laughs> it seems the superstition seems so illogical to me but yeah i don't know maybe i'm just part vulcan and i don't know it <laughs> you just I have to i don't get all this craziness it doesn't make sense to me you just have to go with people's realities that's all although as as much as i like to think that i'm a pretty skeptical person and i've got a a, a, a logical mind there are definitely certain superstitions that i will say uh, that I will hold to. Like, for instance, I won't remark on how surprised I am that I'm not seeing any traffic until once I'm done with a, a drive yeah. or something of that nature. <laughs> so yep. there are things that even yeah. though I know logically it doesn't change anything, I can't do it. <laughs> it's a natural human compulsion to like create yeah. patterns out of things. Yeah. yeah. Even though they don't make sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm not as totally sure as, you know, some that, there's absolutely nothing going on and so forth. I just, I feel like in a lot of cases that there's a lot of stuff that we just don't understand. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think most superstitions have anything to do with those things, but uh, they have more to do with stuff like miners' boots and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, but things like jinxing things, uh, I'm not all that sure that we don't do that in some way, even if it's by our own actions or something, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, one could argue if you're if you're so sure of a conclusion, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Self fulfilling prophecies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all kinds of different things that can go on, but uh, so yeah, I'm not sure we should throw out everything, but uh, yeah, there's some superstitions that. I mean, I can understand why you shouldn't walk under a ladder. <laughs> it could be dangerous. Yeah. Something can fall on you. There's yeah. somebody yeah. up there doing. You something. could knock somebody off a ladder. You this could. is true. Yeah. Um, the black cat I- one really bothers me because. Oh yeah. That my little girl that we just lost was a black cat, and yeah. uh, and one reason we got her was because you know when we went to uh, find a cat the. Uh, the rescue organization was like, oh, black cats are the hardest ones to place. They are. That's so stupid. I did not realize that. I always thought it was, you know, the boring looking gray striped tabbies. So I had figured I would have a a striped tabby, but when they said that, you know, black cats were the hardest to place and they had to be very careful because people can be very mean to black cats. Even to this day, I've met people that actually still believe that black cats are bad luck. I, my sister has two black cats and mm-hmm. getting, uh, cat sitters, uh, the first person that she hired for an extended trip, uh, came over. Part of the thing is when you're, when you're going to be away from your cats and your cats are in your house, you need to do more than just feed them and change the litter. You need to play with them a little bit so that yes. they're not yeah. starved for attention. Mm-hmm. And the first cat sitter she had fed them. Change the litter, but that was it. And if she, if the, the cat sitter was there for any length of time, would go into a room and block the cats out. Oh my. Because the black cats creeped her out and the cats were, it was an extended trip. And when she got back, they were very unhealthy, um, because they were starved for attention and they were completely stressed out. Um, when you adopt a black cat, they, you know, they always want you to keep your cats indoor because it's safer. But when it's a black cat, they really do because people will try to poison them on purpose. They will try to shoot them. They will aim for them with their cars. Um, People do bad things to black cats and it's horrible. And they are three times less likely to get adopted. So if they're not adopted, they end up getting euthanized simply because nobody will take them. Yeah. Reading through this uh, article that I just found about black cats. In Asia and the UK, a black cat is considered lucky. To dream of a black cat is lucky. Aww. According to Scottish lore, a strange black cat on a porch brings prosperity to the owner. <laughs> Meanwhile, in North America, if a black cat crosses your path, that's bad luck. So it's like, you know... It's interesting. Is it good luck or is it bad luck? Like, and, depending on where you live, it's yep. stupid. Pull and black down. cats have been part of, like, uh, voodoo and other like witchcraft lore sure. uh it's what is it in order to do the whole crossroads thing you're supposed to drown a black cat oh. a kitten i believe Gross. in high tide at a certain time whatever That's so it has to be alive and you've got to dr- kill it in a specific yep. horrible horrible way to get a, one bone people are sick it's it's absolutely horrible, and and North well, America is. And we're moving on. Cats. We have to. Yeah. We really. How did we get to black here. cats? Exactly. We have to. St- <laughs> we have to rein oh, okay. each other in. Let's try. Let's try harder, folks. All right. <laughs> the crowd yeah. has assembled outside the Bullock House. Some have brought twigs for some reason. 
Tom has brought a piece of his wall, I think festooned with twigs for some reason. Martha is wearing an ugly fucking black dress. Tom <laughs> watches from the balcony. Reverend Andy recites the 23rd Psalm. We get a little Job action. He says, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in Worst. my flesh shall I see God. Worst. It's probably not it, the best psalm to pick. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty awful. And Martha runs from the crowd toward her house. Splat! She falls down. Mm. But she gets up and she goes to William cries over his body. Do you notice throughout this this whole scene though, people keep tripping all over those rocks. Mm-hmm. Yes, like it happens a lot. <laughs> like the preacher falls like in that puddle, pretty much. Yeah, he ends up in the stream. Yeah, he yeah. steps on Jumbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jumbo. Jumbo. You know, though, uh, Matt, probably she had a horrible black dress on because she wasn't allowed to wear anything new. Yeah. It's probably the same dress she wore to her husband's funeral. Probably. So it's just an out-of-fashion dress. Well, and 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 she'll have to be wearing black for quite a while, because at this point uh, in time, like, there's the period of mourning. Yep. It was like a year, wasn't it? I think it was different depending on who you lost, but yeah. Yeah, if if somebody passed, uh, all the women in the family had to be in mourning. So, so you black. I get so embarrassed for Martha when she's running and falls down. Oh, I feel and, so bad for her. And this is interesting. The fall was not planned. Oh, no? Well, Anna Gunn says in the commentary that it wasn't planned. Hmm. But she ran to the house with the same purpose that her own father did when she had been struck by a car when she was a child. Oh wow! She, I guess, she has this memory, or someone told her that her father just bolted from his house like a crazy person, mm-hmm. and that—that's what she channeled and thought about when she was running toward the house. Okay, mm. mm. I think, um, I think Martha looks like Charlie Bucket from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> just, just. The, uh, <laughs> What she's wearing, like, it, it looks like a turtleneck like he wore, and the front of her hair is, like, the same as his hair. Like, if you if you take away the back part, the long part, I'm going to send a picture. It's true. It's really she true. She looks like she could be Charlie's mother, too. I, I genuinely bought her performance. Oh, yeah. What do we got here? We got a picture of Martha <laughs> wearing an ugly black dress and turtleneck-looking thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of... Some kind of elongated face. Yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Chin. In the same the hair. Chin, the same and... cheekbones. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> she could be his mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot unsee. <laughs> uh, will she be Martha Bucket from now on? <laughs> yes. Let's call her Martha Bucket. That's her, ma- that's her. That's her maiden name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That movie was made how long ago? Let's not go on. <laughs> well, no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that how old would he be now? And they do look almost exactly alike. Uh-huh. We'll have to find out after the show. <laughs> after Martha cries over William's body, she comes outside. She takes Seth's hand. Martha has changed her mind about the burial being private. She invites the entire camp into her home so all can say their goodbyes to William. Sophia gives her twig to Jane. She's very sweet. Uh, Reverend Andy steps into the creek. The the feet in the water may symbolize him being baptized as a reborn man. Mm. 
Hmm. It's interesting that he says those who wish to pay their respects to the corpse of William Bullock. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's seems that insensitive. <laughs> but she he's, didn't. Even, nobody flinched at it. No, he's pretty bad at his job. Yes. He's new. Yeah, so we can cut him a little bit of slack, but he's there's a lack of sensitivity. But he here. hasn't had really any training. He's no Reverend Smith. It's like this is my this is my first funeral. Yeah, yeah. He's probably never had training. He's probably just declared himself a preacher and then. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. What's with the twigs? I don't think Everyone's they're twigs. I twigs. think they're flowers. Oh, is that what they were? And I'm not sure why she gave it to Jane. Shouldn't so, she be giving it to the parents? Yeah, maybe. One thought I had is um, if they're if they're already dead flowers. Mm-hmm. Um. I know it's a Jewish tradition, but it could also be uh, something older that was held on to um, back then. Uh, the idea of not bringing anything living to a funeral. Mm. Oh, it's- so okay. the idea, like for instance, at uh, like Jewish cemeteries, you'll notice they have like plastic flowers and stuff, mm-hmm. or they'll just put rocks on the grave um, because they don't want anything to die around, you know, because you already have death, so mm. they don't bring anything alive to a funeral. Very what time of year should it be in Deadwood at this point? Oh, that's a good question. I I had kind of assumed that it, that was the closest thing they had to flowers at that point, that it was just, I mean, it's brush and mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. not, right. it's not a very hospitable no. flowers are not all that hospitable. I think that Sophia giving her twig or flower to Jane is her way, Sophia's way of saying, that could have been me in that coffin. I could have died, but you saved me, Jane. Thank you. Mm. I I haven't forgotten you. Oh, that's interesting. But she didn't articulate it. She couldn't because she's still a child. That's but nice. She saw Jane and she's like, I'm going to give this to her because yeah. she, she was my protector. And I love her. Mm-hmm. And reading some analysis of this episode... This, the idea that Martha's ready to leave the camp at the beginning, but then when she sees how many people show up for her son's funeral, it's sort of like the community has come to me and I'm a part of this place. Yes. And I'm going to let these people into my home. And then when, after she's done th- th- that and like sort of like incremental steps, like first she lets them come, then she lets them inside. And now she can't let herself leave mm. because she's now a part of the community. Mm. Because they share, I mean, I would think that if she goes back to her family in, you know, Michigan or wherever, they aren't going to have had this experience, you know, of losing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Buddy there in camp has shown that, you know, they also had this experience of losing him. Yeah. She still might leave, like, if she feels that the fact that, They've all had the experience. It's sort of like, there goes Martha Bullock. Let's all feel so bad for her. Maybe she, maybe that will become too much for her. Like, mm-hmm. I can't go anywhere in this town without everyone knowing that I'm the mother of the dead boy. Mm-hmm. So maybe she will go back home. But at this moment, it's sort of like she's letting them all into her heart almost. Although one of the things that uh, occurred to me as we were going over this and with the Alma and Sophia thing is that she was going to teach the children of the camp and I could see her still doing that um, as a way kind of to, to keep herself from just curling up in a ball and dying. Might be also hard for her though. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought about that too. And I was thinking, Oh my God, that would be just 
brutal. Mm-hmm. It it would be brutal, and yet, and yet, be therapeutic in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still giving something to children, you know, give her purpose. Mm-hmm. The way that Jane is best when she is she's taking care of people. If yeah. that gives her purpose, so yeah. yeah. And while this funeral is going on, the doctor is inspecting Moses' wounds. It's the only time we see the doctor this episode, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe he wanted to be apart from them because he's a reminder that he didn't do, he couldn't save them, or he feels like he let the family down. He feels guilty. Nobody would blame the doctor, but he might... It's a reminder, maybe. It's his own personal Um, too, right? Yeah, I I think he takes everything on himself. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think there is definitely a frustration that he can't save everybody. Agreed. Ellsworth carries Sophia up the stairs of the hotel. Sophia and Trixie picked flowers at William's grave. I guess maybe, well, they picked flowers at his grave? That's strange. Yeah. Flowers alone. (laughs) Flowers from his grave. What What are you people doing? Ellsworth corrects Sophia's grammar. Alma finally says yes. Aww. Yes to the question that you asked me, Ellsworth. Yes, I will marry you. I love that. So sweet. This was so sweet. They're like a little family. Aww. But it was nice because he's such a dad to Sophia. So I thought this was like the perfect time to say that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how Alma's cobbled together for herself this family. That mm-hmm. Not her child by birth, not her husband through love, but mm. of convenience, but look at them, they're working. But you know what? I think she'll grow to love him anyways. How could you not? Yeah, yeah. he's so sweet. Like, I mean, really. Yeah. Dan, Johnny, and Silas have come to collect woo. He's like, no, I'm not going to go see Swergen. He has no concern for me and mine. I have no concern for him. Hey, put me down! <laughs> <laughs> this was great, the little legs kicking. He's like a turtle! He's the turtle that Dan Dan threatened to turn Saul into. Aww. It's nighttime. Inside the Bella Union, Cy taunts Wolcott about his pension for murdering girls. Suddenly, Reverend Andy returns. We get more Job action. Be a- ye afraid of the sword! Cy throws him out. <laughs> Hugo saw Wolcott in the telegraph office. He hopes Wolcott wasn't sending messages to Montana. Nope. The great man does not take sides in petty territorial disputes, and FYI, he joins us within the week. Ooh. Ooh. Hugo hopes his bribes will result in a banner that reads, Welcome, George Hurst, to Deadwood of Dakota Territory. And one of my notes here is, I hope the people of South Dakota today appreciate how hard Stephen Tobolowsky has worked to get Deadwood (laughs) annexed. (laughs) The guy's really working hard. Yeah, they should give him the key to the city or something. It should. Yeah. Stephen Tobolowsky Day. Really? <laughs> let's I, start a let's start that trending on Twitter. Isn't there a statue of Stephen Tobolowsky like where didn't they say that there's a statue of Stephen Tobolowsky where they filmed Groundhog Day? I think there might be. <laughs> so yeah. There's a statue out there, guys. <laughs> Maybe we should move it. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about how we were doubting or some of us were doubting. Some of us were sure that Andy was like truly converted. I think he, in a selfish way, is really happy to rub his conversion in Sai's face. <laughs> like he's like this is gloating. Yes. This is I'm a better person than you. Ha ha. Yeah. Kind of. Well, I, he, so a lot of religious people will do that sometimes, though. 
And I'm, I mean, it also seemed like he was also saying, I'm going to stay here even though you threatened me and to hell with you. Look at me. Here I am preaching. That too, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of petty, but it's great. I have a note here that Cy really is making enemies everywhere he can. He's just saying nasty things to everybody. Yeah. And it's in this scene that I think, wait, maybe he is pulling a con. <laughs> Because it seems like he's antagonizing Psy specifically. Mm-hmm. Unless this is something like that they teach in preacher school. Like, go to the bars and be a nuisance. I don't think he went to preacher school, though. <laughs> yeah, I think he just decided to start doing it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he did, too. And, he I mean, he would, he would copy other preachers. And, yes, preachers would sometimes go to bars and be obnoxious. But... <laughs> Yeah. Trixie watches Saul ride in with the bullocks. And then it's time for another blowjobalogue. <laughs> As Dolly goes to town, a drunk Al gives more backstory. His brother had falling sickness. After he died, Al's father got his load on and beat him. He was sent to an orphanage, but fat-ass Mrs. Anderson turned out to be a pimp. Anyway, how was the funeral? It was sad, but pretty too. Uh, shut up. <laughs> Did you dye your hair? <laughs> Did you dye your hair? <laughs> Um, Al says, ain't even my fucking brother, and fucking people take me in. I didn't ask him to fucking take me in. So, this sounds like his brother could be a stepbrother or a foster brother. Yeah. And and therefore his father might be a stepfather or foster father. Yeah. There's, who knows what, you definitely get the feeling that Al's uh, family life as a child was as complicated as the plans he's making with this Yankton thing. Yeah. Hearst thing. Regarding Dolly, David Milch says, Dolly's continued oral gratification offers Al some reassurance. This woman you can trust. The fact that his mother sucked cock for a living, well, her you couldn't trust. It can be said Swearingen is taking vengeance on his mother. God bless Dolly for her generosity in reenacting Swearingen's <laughs> wounding and healing it. <laughs> I always, she's, like, she's like a therapist. I always find it funny, though, that uh, he doesn't orgasm until he's said his piece. You know, he's like, he talk, he has to talk it through and then he can let himself go. <laughs> but it's like he talks for so long and he's just letting her go to town on him. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah, I was noticing that too, actually. Yeah, yeah he just has to talk. You know, what with the sigh scene with everybody, again, that it really struck me how much Al has everybody chasing their tails. Um, I mean, he's got yanked and wondering if Hearst is behind the Montana thing and and um so he's he really does have everybody pretty well twisted up. Martha is packing her trunk as Seth comes in. He takes her hands. He says, Whatever will let us live as we are now, which I think is David Milch speak for put your ugly clothes back in the closet. We're gonna stay in camp and fight for our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it have been funny if he actually said that? <laughs> Put those ugly clothes back. <laughs> um, oh, I like it. He takes her hands it's and sweet. says, let's, nice. let's make a go of it, kiddo. I'm kind of shipping them now. I hope that they can make it work. Because now I'm shipping uh, Alma and Ellsworth now together. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. it's nice. Yeah, people are pairing up in pretty good ways. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. He seems to be, like, over Alma entirely. I mean, this whole thing with the kid and everything else seems to have just... Yeah. 
Now, the thing is that once the the grief is over, well, not over, but, you know, once it's bearable and, and they can start thinking about other things, is it going to be one of those things where they look at each other and say, why are we trying to do this? We, you know, we really never knew each other. And Well, they might grow to love each other, though. That's the thing. Like, they have to they see might. if they can, you know. They have they to might. see if they, they, they actually like each other, you know. I yeah. Think, I think well, they now they've, se- they've seen each other at the worst. Yeah, exactly. So... If they can weather this, yeah. maybe they'll they will come out strong on the other side. I had asked you guys previously if you thought that William's accident would bring them together or pull them apart. What did we say? And you, well, I don't remember who said what, but we and we don't have a firm answer yet. We've got another season, so we'll see how things shake out. But I like it. I like I like Seth's tenderness. Yeah, I, it's nice. Well, that's the episode. Let's go over predictions. Carol predicted Joni replenishes her supplies. Yep. That was wrong. Again. <laughs> You're not the only Yeah. <laughs> Mel predicted after the depressing events of the previous episode, the camp will revel in debauchery, orgies, and stand-up comedy. <laughs> what? <laughs> close. The confusing thing about that is you were like, debauchery. Stand up, co- stand up comedy. Like that's debaucherous. All right. Well, okay. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Super random. <laughs> I don't know why Matt says the things he says. He predicted Johnny is going to create a boys' club in a treehouse. The titty liquor will be the treasurer. No girls allowed, but oh heck, the horse can come. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> For our miscellaneous prediction, I wanted you to predict who will say the episode title. Carol predicted Cy will say the episode title, referring to Joni getting her new supplies. Matt predicted Dan will say the episode title, although it's probably going to be Cy. Mel predicted Seth will say the episode title, inviting the horse to the funeral. Well, no one says the title exactly, but Saul and uh, Trixie have a uh, discussion. Yeah. Trixie asks Saul, he'd have me ask, might the horse pay the dead boy their respects. And Saul says the service is outside the home. All in the camp are welcome. So I would say Saul is the one who says, gives permission, the horse can come. And no one guessed Saul, but since Mel said that the horse can come is related to being invited to the funeral, I will give the point to Mel. Yes! <laughs> All right, let's do some feedback. Hasso sent us feedback, both written and audio- why don't we uh, have Mel read the written portion first? Okay. He says, hey, Matt. Which Matt is he talking to? Eh, probably me. <sighs> Whatever. Why isn't he talking to us? Jerk. Because oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> Am I the jerk? Or no, is he the is. jerk? Well, I don't think he's going to send feedback now. What a jerk. In the, f- in the future. You're on my kill list. Please. Um- <laughs> Stop Stop trying to kill our feedbackers. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I figure he probably had two for one. He probably was going for both of you. All right. Okay. Well, if you're through insulting him, let's, why don't you read what he wrote? <laughs> From Jerkface. Hey, Matt. <laughs> oh, wow. here, here some, here, what's his name? Sorry. <laughs> Hasso. Hasso. Okay. From Hasso. Hey, Matt. Here is some feedback for season two, episode 11. Thanks also for playing my general feedback on your last show which I must admit I selfishly skipped ahead to find on your latest show, even though I'm just getting to mid-season two. Um, I'm pretty sure Matt always did this too whenever we submitted feedback for anything. Intro to X. Intro to X, yeah. Um, 
I enjoyed everyone's reactions, and I have a couple of brief messages, if you could kindly pass them on. Carol, you're too hard on yourself. Not- Oh, he's addressing all of us. Thank you. <laughs> I, I retract my statement. <laughs> Talk about rushing judgment and then being called on it. <laughs> Ooh, foot in mouth. Hey, I retract my statement. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Um, <laughs> Carol, you're too hard on yourself. Not boring. Not boring at all. Smiley face. Aww. In, in, that's really sweet. In your Thanks. translation of my comment, uh, re my appreciation of your insight slash historical context. Aww. Aww, thank you. And Mel, never heard you so serious thus far. <laughs> <laughs> Where you were quashing a misimplied accusation of acid usage upon an innocent compliment describing some of your contributions to the show as psychedelic. <laughs> All I can say is, in my best Andy Kramed voice, I apologize. <laughs> oh, we're apologizing to each other. Oh, uh, let's all be friends. <laughs> uh, oh, Alright, uh, now to play his episode-related audio feedback. Hi guys, it's Hasso. Hope you're all well. I've got some feedback today for Series 2, Episode 11, The Whores Can Come. And I'm a total newbie for this episode. Um, so there's a few highlights that I thought were noteworthy or interesting. Um, I thought the, the start with uh, Bullock doing what he does, you know, um, just working away, is building that coffin. That really kind of shows that he... he that's his way of dealing with things and dealing with the loss of his, his son, obviously. Um, you know, obviously it was weird, ironic that the whole funeral of this episode is what brings him closer to his wife. Um, I think at the time, as this episode unfolded, I was just thinking that, you know, his wife really got screwed over. Um, you know, Bullock ran from home, um, or he was moving away from that previous life where he thought if he brought his son and wife to Deadwood, they could start again. Um, he was awkward with his wife and he was with his child and his child dies. Um, his wife doesn't have any offspring now. Um, but Bullock does, um, to, to Alma, who's except Ellsworth. So it's quite a complicated kind of sequence of events there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely like his wife, um, is the, is the loser there. Be interesting to see if, if she can, um, stay in Deadwood, even though she, she says that she can't bear to stay. So if she does go, then, Probably Bullock's uh, fairly screwed too. What has he got left to really uh, to to live for? I guess. Um, I thought Al playing his mournful games uh, to sweeten the deal, the annexation deal, was quite funny. Um, some good, and I think it, it served as some good humorous interludes in the in the story to take that edge off the sadness. Um, you can see that Al avoids the funeral and. It hits, it seems to hit a personal note, or a personal nerve with him. It's a nerve. And, um, he, he, he seems to have flashbacks to maybe the death of his brother or his father. Um, I think it was his, his brother, and he was talking about how his father kind of beat on him. Um, and he was saying all this during his, you know, his sexual encounter, and he's done that, I think, more than once. So I think that's quite, um, interesting how he seems to be in those situations where he can, he can kind of, he opens up and, um, Relive some moment in history. And, and that really abrupt finish to the scene or to the episode, it's where he says, do you dye your hair? <laughs> it's bizarre, but again, strange and odd and funny. 
Um, the funeral scene was definitely powerful, thoughtful, and touching. Um, and obviously, it was a nice twist to allow the t- town folk to pay their respects. Jane was great once again, as always in in the episodes. Um, what fantastic acting by her from you know from her transformation from a hard ass, rough and tumble cowboy into a lovely girly kind of um, persona as she steps into a bath. I think that was great. And and she had that, that great quote in the episode as well where she just um it was um after the doc had successfully performed the um surgery on the big the big fat guy. Fat fuck. And she just said, Yeah, you fat fuck. You're alive. <laughs> I thought that was great. So that's about all the highlights I can I found from the episode. Um and uh, probably not not my favourite one, but it's definitely very um Entertaining and worthwhile, and I give that seven point five dyed haired whores. So thanks again, guys. Talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just ignore Mel. <laughs> By the way, the thing about any. the hair color. Yeah, uh, I read on that review site uh, Jim Beaver talking about that and uh, how the actress had dyed her hair, and he doesn't know if it was David or Ian who on the fly said, oh, well, just did you dye your hair? And just worked it into the story that way. But that was a last-minute addition. And uh, he also said that uh, Dolly and the Indian head are both heads that uh, Al monologues to. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's such a terrible pun. It is, it is. But he had wonderful things to say about the actress and how difficult those scenes uh, were to film because you're doing something that awkward in front of about a hundred people. Yeah, yeah, over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, and you sound like you wanted your parents to watch the show. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, my big break came, and I really don't want you to watch it. Matt, would you read this feedback from Harold? Okay. So Harold says the thing that struck me about this episode was how the camp has, for the most part, become a community and the relationships that have been formed. We've seen many funerals before, but I don't think any of them, including Wild Bill's, had the kind of turnout that Williams received. Even people who don't seem to particularly like Bullock showed up to pay their respects, and I think that despite Martha's initial desire to leave immediately after the service, her decision to let everyone come into her home with their wet and muddy shoes to view the body, aka corpse, (laughs) shows that she sees herself as part of the community too. I also love that brief scene where Alma watches Ellsworth and the five and the five head going up the stairs of the hotel. She arrived in camp not too long ago as the laudanum addicted unhappy wife of a fool, and I think that this little scene gives hope that she might find herself happy with this new family that has come together in such an unlikely manner. Uh, manner. I also like seeing the developing friendship between Jane and Joni, and seeing Joni challenge Jane on some of her defense mechanisms that she puts up to keep from dealing with her emotions. On the other hand, Al was damn cold and heartless to woo. Cocksucker. <laughs> so Hurst is expected within the week. Since most episodes pick up the following day after the previous episode, does this mean that we'll see him next episode or next season? Predictions? Probably next season, huh? Uh... Also, I don't get why E.B. is so upset about being pressured to sell his hotel. If he gets a good enough price for it, he can just buy or build another one. Uh, it seems like there's a need for more than one hotel in this town. 
One other question. Do you think that Psy is correct that Andy is running a con? If so, what is it? Uh, I give this eight burn snatches out of ten. <laughs> I don't think he's running a con. Neither. Very eloquently stated about Martha and Alma. Mm-hmm. Yes. Harold is so insightful and mm. eloquent in how he writes. Yes. I'm jealous. Thank you. Thank you, Harold. So let's take his questions, uh, starting with the Hearst one. Uh, you guys think he's going to show up next episode or next no. season? I think next episode. Really? Yeah. Okay. Even though we've been going one day at a time, you know. I mean, How many episodes do we have in this season? and Or left? There's a total of 12. We're on episode 11, so oh. one more. Yeah, I think I think he. I was thinking he would show up in the season finale. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. I would be very disappointed if they either didn't show. They said he's going to show up within a week. They go to the next episode. He's not there. They end it with the idea that he's coming in, and they've had a space. I would imagine they're going to have a space between season two and season three, so Alma's pregnancy can get further along to make season three interesting. Um, And it would be awful to have had Hearst there for three months or four months or something when season three opens up, you know, it's like, that would not be fun. (laughs) So that's my take. Maybe they'll do the, the old trick of uh, a figure gets out of the stagecoach and everybody goes, (gasps) but you don't see who it is because they haven't cast him yet. (laughs) That would be crappy. (laughs) <laughs> that would be crappy. Uh, he also asks, "What's up with EB? Can he uh, just buy another hotel, or or build rather build another one?" Yeah, but you know, he likes he likes his place. I'm guessing not necessarily. I'm guessing that if somebody like Hearst is taking over the hotel, that he's basically going to be taking over town, and then EB would need to get almost permission to open another hotel. That would compete with the Hearst Hotel. And then do you think that Andy is running a con? If so, what? I don't think so. I don't know why, but I don't think so. Yeah, I get the feeling that he's genuine. I think if he were running a con, he'd be better at preaching. Oh, okay. Interesting. I just That just occurred to me. I think I think he'd be selling it more, you know? Hmm. I, 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 I like that line of thought there. Okay, let's make Nutty read this feedback from Corey. What's okay. Your okay. Hello, Hoopleheads. I'm not sure if I missed something, but what is with the animosity that Jane has for Moe's manual? I, I think I think this show is very fat phobic, actually. <laughs> they're very mean to anybody heavy, and they're constantly making jokes. That's that's me, not him. Um, sorry, I just had to answer that. Um, back to Corey. And is it just me, or aside from a brief reprieve, immediately follow the beating from Charlie Utter, is Wolcott a bigger elitist asshole than ever? <laughs> Trixie sure took charge of the whores during their grieving. She's my character of the episode. Take care. Merry Xmas. Don't burn your fucking snatches, Corey. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wilcott's his period of being humble ended pretty quickly. That's over. Yeah. yeah. When he was nursing his wounds after the beating, he was kind of like, oh, I'll give you back the letter. Here you go. But now he's now he's back to being a douche. Yeah, he really is. I, the other, he wasn't a very conv- convincing, humble person anyway. Let's say Hearst shows up next episode, or next season. Uh, how is he going to treat Wolcott? Is he going to 
appreciate everything that he's done? Is he going to be dismayed if he finds out that that he killed the horrors? Is this something that you suspect he already knows that Wilcott does? Like, what do you think that relationship is going to be like? Father, son, mentor, protege. What's going on? Um, personally, I think he's probably going to treat him like a cog in his machine, and he's not going to care if he kills horse or anything else as long as it doesn't come back to Hearst. Uh, he probably knows about it and really doesn't care because this guy does a job for him. And as long as he continues to do that job, then he really doesn't care what what he does in his spare time. He's just a, you know, one of his lackeys. I thought Walcott already informed us that Hearst knows of his, his mm-hmm. like, you know, his thing. <laughs> his, uh, so I don't his, think he's going to be mad at him. His penchant for killing whores. Yeah. 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 I don't know why, but in my head, like, I see Hearst as, like, uh, what's his face from There Will Be Blood. <laughs> and if Wilcott is his errand boy, how much worse is Hearst going to be? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. George Hearst is going to drink everyone's milkshakes. It would be great <laughs> if Daniel Day-Lewis was Hearst. Oh, that would be so great. <laughs> that would be amazing. We were spoiled on who Hearst is, but I don't remember, so. I'm glad. I'm glad you don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember either. I tried to forget, and I managed to do it, which is pretty good. Yeah, I have no memory of that either. (laughs) Our last feedback is from Will. It's audio feedback. Um, hello, it's me. Uh, I almost forgot to send feedback for this episode. I watched it yesterday before I went on my Santa Speedo run, which... Um, since I don't have a Speedo, I just wore red underwear. And no, you're not going to see pictures of that on uh-huh. Facebook. So, no. yeah, I know John likes to hear about my social life, so I figured I'd throw that <laughs> in. I forgot to send feedback before I went. I, I don't really remember a lot of this episode since it's been a full, what, 24 hours since I watched it. So, of course, <laughs> it's completely slipped my memory. But I guess the parts I liked the most were the stuff with Jane taking a bath, even though I really, you know, probably didn't need to see that much of Jane, but, you know, now the funeral at the end, I guess it was supposed to be moving, but for me, it just wasn't, uh, I, you know, Anna Gunn has a really bad cry face, I just couldn't get past that, once that happened, that was it for me, but I kind of liked the stuff with Al, I kind of think, you know, he really wanted to go to the funeral, but, you know, he has to put up front, maybe. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed the episode. Another great episode, just more of the same. Maybe it's like that, you know, a really good hookup you had that you just can't remember as well time. So, I'll talk to you guys next time. I was going to use Trixie's quote about breath, but I know that may hit a little too close to home. But I'll talk to you later, guys. Bye. <laughs> Well, thank you for the feedback, everyone. I love it when people send in feedback. Yes, I, I kind of hate it, actually. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> I, don't get to, I don't get to kill anyone. I don't get to satisfy my craving for murder. You could just kill a rando. Ah! Person you. The first, next person you see. It's not as fun. All right, let's uh, do the episode ratings. As our guest, Nutty, why don't you go first? Um. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this episode. Um... There is a lot of there was a, there was a lot of really good acting, um, a lot of feels going on. I was just sad watching this episode, um, and the episode before was pretty sad too. So it was it was a bit of a downer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but there were so many good things that happened. So I don't know. I'm just going to give it an eight out of 10 cum breaths. <laughs> eight out of 10 what? Is it cock breath? What, whatever the girls. Oh, it's cock breath. breath. Cock breath. Oh, sorry. Cock breaths. <laughs> okay. okay. Sorry. I thought you said cum breaths. I thought you said <laughs> cum breast, and I was like, oh, cum breast. Hmm. No, cock breath. Cock I thought you said cum rags, and <laughs> we all heard something different. Nobody understood that. <laughs> it was a horrible rating system. Yeah. <laughs> um, Carol. Um, I was thinking about this before, and the fact that this is another one to me that that felt like a conduit episode from one thing to get us to the next one, you know? Um, it's, it's all like chapters of a book or something. And mm-hmm. so it's not that it's bad or anything. It's just, it's just a piece of the story. Um, I'm going to go with 7.5 out of 10 awkward preachers. Okay. Matt. Uh, I liked, I like the individual character moments, but I like this. This whole plot with like territories and annexation and stuff is really bringing my enjoyment down. Like this, there's a lot of it in this episode, and it really brought my rating down. Uh, I don't know if this is my lowest rating ever or not, but I'm gonna give it six point five out of ten. Burning babes. Oh, no, that's not your lowest rating. Your lowest was a five. That was uh, the last one. I I know there's a lot of annexation stuff, but. I don't think there's as much as you guys think that there is. It's just when it happens, it's so boring. <laughs> it feels like a lot to me. Mm. Well, there is, actually. I mean, they don't talk about it a lot, but there's a lot of the plot that is involved with that whole annexation thing. Yeah, and I just wish it would go away. I mean, there's quite a few scenes in this one. If you count all the woo stuff, count all the size stuff, commissioner stuff, and a certain amount of Al stuff with the Chinese, with Lee, and with Wu, and Wu with Lee, and Al with the commissioner. You know, it's there's quite a bit. Okay. Uh, so, Mel, what is your rating? Well, I agree with Matt on a lot of it, although I don't think I hated it as much as he did. Um, so I'm going to... Because, I, I don't know, it's just, the character moments are really good. Um, so I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 she-apes. <laughs> Okay. Um, I actually like this one quite a lot because there are so many little individual moments that I enjoy. Just the way that Martha and Seth interact and Martha's grief felt like, um, I'm like embarrassed for her, but I, and I'm sympathetic for her. And and I love how that relationship relationship is developing. And I love that the camp came out for her to show support an affection for the Bullock family, which I thought was great. And regarding the Montana uh, Yankton stuff, that is my least favorite part of the show, and I've said that before. But I liked the Wu Lee element to it, mm-hmm. the, the whole Chinatown yeah. thing that's going on. That's a yeah. That's a side of the camp that we're, we don't get to see too often. Mm. Well, it was easier. So, it was easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is ironic because it's they're speaking Chinese, yeah. and yet it, it was easier for us to understand because it's made pretty clear like who's on what side and what they're. Well, it's know, not what, as as it's there's not as many elements to it. It's pretty straightforward, yeah. you know. Lee against Wu, they both got you know things, other things going on, but that's a very solid conflict there. I'm just going through my notes, looking at all the little things that I liked, like 
like Blazanoff delivering telegrams, Trixie sniffing Elma's drink, Elma comforting Sophia, Jane in the bathtub, Jane and Joni nursing Mose back to health, mm-hmm. um, Johnny and the Finch and all the superstitious stuff at the bar, uh, E.B. freaking out about losing the hotel, Alma realizing that she can make a family with Ellsworth. Like, there's, oh, Trixie assembling the horse. There's just lots of, like, stuff that's going on that mm-hmm. I really enjoy. So I'm going to give it 9 out of 10 ugly fucking dresses. <laughs> Character of the episode, Nutty. Uh, Trixie. Trixie gets it for being mother hand to everybody and awesome and introspective. And she was just great. I'm going to ditto that. And I'm going to say Trixie too. All the reasons that you said she, she's been awesome all season, but this is like peak Trixie goodness right here. So yay, Trixie. Uh, Carol. I was debating back and forth on Al and Trixie because Al has managed to take himself from, from being totally irrelevant to everyone while he was sick to having manipulated the whole group of them in such a way that they're all chasing their tails, all without doing anything except making a few comments here and there and and uh, and ex- accepting bribes. Um, but Trixie has, you know, she's, she's just everywhere, and she's, you know, she's in everybody's business, and yet she's not. And uh, so I'm going to go with Trixie. Okay. Matt. Um, I think I'm going to go with Alma for saying yes to the the question and for trying to connect with that kid. <laughs> <laughs> the five head. Yes. Mel. I think I had originally picked Johnny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because he made me laugh. <laughs> but I do like Trixie in this episode a lot. She's really, so, I mean, it was a toss up between those two, but I'm going to pick Johnny just to be different. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. That's the second time you've picked him. I know. I like him. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Yeah. Also, when Al is ex- explaining the whole, like, bending over for her thing, Johnny does this smile, this, like, goofy grin that's, like, <laughs> the best. Like, he's such a little puppy. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Nutty quotes? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. <laughs> <sighs> Skip me. Come not back. Not prepared. Not no, prepared. I'm so not prepared. Remember, Carol, I, I forgot quote. I was doing okay. this. Okay. I've only got one. Uh, there are a lot of good quotes in here. I just didn't get them. Um, I would be so grateful if you would trust me with your sadness. Aww. That one, I thought that was so beautifully stated. That was yeah. really sweet. I'll finish the quote for you. And I will trust you with mine so that even when we are sad, we will be grateful for how much we love each other and know that we are in the world as much in our pain as our, in our happiness. Yeah. Thank you. Ah. Thank you for completing it. Mel? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't want to steal this one from anyone because it's pretty much the quote of the episode. Go, Go for it. Do it. <laughs> Go wash your fucking mouth. You've got seven kinds of cock breath. <laughs> That's a great I also one. like. Can, can I say? Can I say the the one that came with that scene as well? Sure. Underarms clean, cunts braided. <laughs> that was my second choice for a, a rating, by the way. Braided cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, um, I already used this on the Defenders podcast, but ow, I burned my fucking snatch. <laughs> I'm going to isolate that audio. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes! Um, well, I was going to say, I don't know why, but 
I like this a lot. Uh, this is E.B. and Wolcott. Is it warm in here? To me, it seems chilly. Chilly, is it? Richardson, Mr. Wolcott finds it chilly. <laughs> Not around. <laughs> oh, so good, so good. All right, buddy. Um, uh, my God, act civilized, even if you ain't. I am a civilized person. And take your civilization and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Johnny, you, you can't wear nothing new to a funeral, especially not new footwear. <laughs> Boots on the bar, you just asking for trouble. <laughs> I like this one from L. Look fucking mournful. Even more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I also like this one from Jane. Drink this. Drink it. <laughs> Now hold to this counter as I reveal this, Mr. Star. I've lived most of my life a whore, and as much as he's her misery, the pimp's a whore is familiar, so the sudden strange or violent draws her to him. Not that I wouldn't learn another way. Aww. Yeah, that was a really good speech. That was really excellent speech. Yeah. Yeah. All right, bring my rating up to eight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like this quote from Sai. Seems to me, Wilcott, last your eyes had that unsettled look. Matters got grave for some young girls. What does it? Do you know? Or does the water just come on you quick? I like that, the little prodding of him. Yeah, he sighs. Just, <laughs> I hate him. He's pretty off. Yeah. There is no good there. Yeah. Oh, I got another one. Okay. I don't like funerals. I do. I do. I can't get enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that again? I can't remember. It was Jane and Joni. <laughs> or Joni, then Jane. I don't know. It's just, I love that. I love that. I do. I can't get I do. Of them. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Good stuff. I don't do business on the day of my godson's passing. That should be mentioned as well. <laughs> yes, that yes. was great. Oh, Yes. When oh, he said ow. that, I was just, oh, I was like, wow, you're really playing it. Yep. Part of me, this this episode is one that really makes me wonder whether Al is one of those people where they this kind of manipulation just comes so naturally to them they don't even have to figure it out. It just it just is like breathing for them. On our next installment of Hooplecast, we will be discussing the season finale, mm. episode twenty four, "Boy the Earth Talks to." Boy, the Earth talks to. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, Are there any commas or anything in there? No, it's hyphenated. William is resurrected as a clay golem. Oh, Ooh, I like it. <laughs> it's all hyphenated? Yes. Like an Indian name or something? Okay, because that sounds like we're talking about a Native American Indian yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking we're going to have some some dealings with the so- Native so the Native Americans are going to come in and they're going to steal William's body away. <laughs> and do what with it? Why would um, and then they're going to perform some sort of ritual where they're going to say, uh, the earth talks to him. I don't know. Boy, the earth <laughs> talks to him. It's likely like the, the, the tribe's, I don't know, diplomat or oh, a diplomat. seer or whatever. And maybe he'll show up and say, hey, we hear you got one of our heads. Let's talk about this. This is a bad situation. I'll, I'll trade you William's corpse for that head in a box. I know what's going to happen, guys. 
So it's going to be one of these super new superstitions where you can't bury William in the earth anymore because the earth might talk to him and tell him it, it, its secrets or something. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, they're going to have to float him down the river. You're just going to keep him in the stream. <laughs> because you can't trust the earth because it mm. talks too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Chatty motherfucker. I, I need that isolated. You can't trust the earth. It just talks too much. <laughs> Mel is face palming right now. <laughs> I have a headache. Carol, can I have a prediction? Um, I've been sitting here trying to think of it. I this show is so consistently like. I mean, the name of this one, the horse can come. I haven't been able to figure out a larger meaning to that than just how it's used in the in the story so it's like this one little piece of the story so boy the earth talks to i mean it does look like a native american name uh but then again with william being in the ground jeez i don't know um yes but he's gonna be talking to the ground pretty soon yeah um I don't know. Maybe they'll introduce Native Amer- something having to do with Native Americans at this during this episode. I don't know. Can't come up with too much of anything on this one. Okay. Well, for our miscellaneous count, I thought we'll, we'll go a little bit retro and uh, we'll do a body count prediction. Oh. Then I guess there may be Native Americans. In I it. just realized they're probably going to turn William into a diamond. Good bringing that all the way back around. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> uh, Mel, how many uh, how many people are going to die in the, uh, in the season overall, or just it's the, it's the season finale? Ah, uh, <sighs> hmm. I don't know. Well, I know you don't know. Yeah, well, you I guess? don't. Hmm. You shouldn't know. You knew we'd be in big trouble here. There's going to be, like, at least a hundred germs that are going to die off of Jane's body. That happened this... I guess. But they're dying. They're not dead yet. Well, <laughs> they're drowning right now. <laughs> but in all seriousness, your guess is... Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't want to be wrong. <laughs> Two. Hey, come on, Two. Jump club. That's fine. Okay, Two. Matt. What's the question? How many, How many bodies... We're going. We're going old school. We're going does that, season does it, one. Does, does like a body bodies. being carried in the town count? No, he like, said they're gonna die. They're gonna die. Die. Uh, yeah, but you didn't see die in the die, course of the episode. Dead, and they're brought into the town. Does that count? I'm gonna say one. <laughs> if it, I know we counted the Indian that was scalped, and they brought in the Indian head. Oh, okay. As, as a death, but it happened during the course of the day. Okay. I think was kind of like the idea. So even though it was it was the death was off screen, they were, the idea was that it happened that day during that span of time. Okay. So that's why we counted it. So Matt says one. Carol says three. Done. Locked in. What if it's a hundred? Then I win. And Carol wins. <laughs> Damn you, Carol. Nutty, where can people find you on the internet? First ah. of all, I should say, Nutty, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Yay, Nutty! This has been a blast. 
Yes. Always Where fun. can people find you on the internet? I know you have some projects. I do have some projects. Uh, and you can find links to all of that by going to nimlas.org, N-I-M-L-A-S.org. There you can find the Nutty Bites podcast where we debate geeky topics. And you can hear this month, uh, we talked about the best and the worst of holiday movies. So that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And you can find links to Beyond the Wall, Game of Thrones podcast, and a bunch of other podcasts that I showed up on. I'm woefully behind in linking to my latest guests spots, but they will get up there eventually. All right. Very good. Let's see anyone have anything else they want to plug? Uh, what we make podcast, a Terminator podcast. Uh, and, a podcast, a Terminator podcast, <laughs> yes. and uh, Defenders podcast, and the cast. Yeah, Matt and I started a podcast. We're we haven't been very good about getting episodes out, and now we're about to get worse with my situation changing. But uh, <laughs> you guys, that's a well, we're we're gonna get it figured out. Oh, yeah. And it's a podcast about video games called Matt is Wrong About Games, <laughs> and it's hilarious. So, which and- one of you is wrong about games? Exactly. <laughs> I guess that changes. But he, but he is. Hey, I'll have you know that Will was on Defenders, and they asked him that same question: "Who's wrong about games?" And he said he used to agree with you, but now he agrees with me. <laughs> mm. That'll change again, though. <laughs> I was on Ron together. <laughs> I was on an episode of Intro to X talking about Jesuit. Jesuit. It's the one where Mulder gets his second genie. Oh, he does. He had a first genie. Mm-hmm. Mm. I never watched the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's not an obvious genie. It's just a genie that's been noticed. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Given that how uh, Mulder is right about everything and gets uh, picks uh, picks up on clues that it makes leaps of logic that nobody would ever make. Right. The theory goes on Intro to X that he has a genie who's helping him along. Yeah. Got it. And in this episode, he gets an actual genie. Oh, oh that's hilarious. Uh, okay. So I was on that one talking about that, and that's a thing that I did. Cool. All right, so we will see you next time for Boy the Earth Talks 2, the season finale. Until then, hey, let's uh, borrow us a bit from the Defenders podcast and have our guest uh, take us out with a fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Nice. <laughs> Loved it. Loved the enthusiasm. <laughs>
Show. <laughs> I was so angry. That's how I felt while watching Jessica Jones. <laughs> I watched the entire thing and I'm not going to spoil anything except to say a growing frustration of things happening that I did not like. And mm. I was like, oh, I hate this. I can't stop watching, but I hate it. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I do have a, a slight Jessica Jones uh, tangent to, to say. Uh, I watched this episode the night before uh going guesting on the Defenders podcast with Matt and Mel and we were talking about Robin Weingart in there and I was just thinking in my head I'm like I saw her snatch last night I saw her snatch (laughs) 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 but I couldn't say anything (laughs) I used I used her quote from that scene on the Defenders podcast today (laughs) nice 
Now, asked, they asked for a quote. I was like, yeah, I use that one. <laughs> I've, I've been hearing a lot about this show, but I don't even know where it is to where to look for it. Is it on Netflix? Netflix, yes. yes. Okay, yes. it's it's, what, um, it's, so it's just really kind of, good, but there's <laughs> a lot of heady topics there, and it deals a lot with consent, rape, and abuse and PTSD. Oh, okay. All so. Right. It's so, really good, and it says a lot about those things, but those are elements. So I try to tell everybody that mm-hmm. so that they don't go in and go, whoa, 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 I was not expecting this. Yeah, so I'll I'll keep it for, like, Christmas night after Doctor Who or something. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's so <laughs> don't watch it right before bed, though. It's so much better than Daredevil. I'm sorry, Claire. It's yeah, better. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I never got around to watching Daredevil. I haven't watched any of the Netflix series. I've been hearing so many good things about them. I, I have to pull it I read somewhere... As of by 20, I think it's 2017, Netflix will have more new uh, original programming than any of the networks. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And check out Sense8 also. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Though that one takes a couple episodes before it really gets cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're done in like four episode acts. Yeah. Mm. I really like uh, House of Cards. I That I watched the like a... S- season and a half and i i just i don't know i think i didn't finish the second season not because i think i just got distracted life got in the way uh-huh. and i haven't gotten back to it but uh, i really liked it too worth watching for molly parker and kim dickens is season three right i haven't watched season three but i know that kim dickens is in that too so get some did talk. you see the mm-hmm. uh original uk version of house of cards no. i have not no that was interesting too uh, very interesting. And again, I can't even imagine the show without her. If she really was to have been killed off in the pilot. That would have been so sad. Yeah. I really There's so many her. characters like that where, you know, they were supposed to be killed off in the pilot or in the first couple episodes, and they end up being the, the center of the show by the end. Spike. <laughs> Spike yeah. was only supposed to be on one episode. Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> Jack from Lost. Mm. Zipowitz from uh, NYPD Blue. Really? He was only supposed to be, he was supposed to get killed off early? Yeah, remember when he got shot, right? Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to die. Oh my goodness. Originally, the idea was that, this is what I heard years ago, was that the show was going to be the handing over from the old, old school to the new young guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And Sipowitz was just there for the first few episodes, and then he would die, and it would be about David Caruso's character. And he would, you know, kind of have to take the reins and become the, you know, whatever. And they decided not to do that, and uh, they had him recover. Thank goodness. He was the show. He was. He was, absolutely. A certain NYPD Blue actor will show up in Deadwood next season, and I can't wait for it, because it's a pretty great performance oh Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, a little teasing there all right <laughs> i look what's, forward to what's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> well i i can only hope and pray and I, i'm pretty sure it won't be david caruso so we should be good i would hope so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> i will be right back i'll be right back talk hey. amongst yourselves <laughs> didn't give us a topic <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, we can come up with a topic, I guess. I'm getting for Clint. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's see.
What's new? Everyone see Star Wars? No. no. Okay, no. we won't talk about it then. Please Thank don't. You. I'm hoping to see it tomorrow, but I don't know. I'm I'm hoping I don't have to wait for the rest of the geeks to see it, but I didn't want to go on opening weekend because I was afraid of crowds. I'm wasn't waiting for that. Tuesday night is uh, discount night. Oh, nice. Yeah, that works, too. So we'll Wait till you see the part where they kill Jar Jar and feast on his corpse. Ooh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, um, what is it? Uh, I I went out just to go to a couple of stores. Not a mall, not any of the big time stores, but just driving to get to a couple of stores yesterday and walking through some of the stores was so many people. Like, I was feeling anxious and i don't have social anxiety i just prefer just not like, to be in big crowds. you feel crowded and stuff it's yeah. not it's not good yeah and and so with all the almost christmas shopping stuff going on i'm just like it's it's too many people so the idea yeah. of going into a movie theater with so many yeah. people i was not interested at do all you, do you have assigned seating uh no we don't have that ah it's great yeah, I've I've seen some th- I've been to some theaters like there's one in uh I can't remember the town but one of the towns on Long Island there's a a theater that you can pay extra for assigned seating and that's also one of those theaters where you can like get beer or wine and food delivered to your seat and all that fancy stuff but no Canada doesn't have that. I I've never or been one of those Ontario places. rather area doesn't have that. Do you guys have that in Moncton? In St. John, yeah. Oh, sorry. Why do I? Why did I say Moncton? I knew you were from St. John. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, all the all the all the theaters here, uh, they're all assigned seating. It's great. Yeah, you don't have to really? worry. You don't have to worry about uh, standing in line to get ticket. Well, I mean, you can buy your tickets online, and then you can just yeah. go five minutes before the movie starts because you already have your seat. You know, reserved. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, yeah. No, I've never even been in a assigned seat movie theater. They're kind of cool. They're generally more expensive, but they're cool. Not, it, well, it's not more not expensive. Not if everyone here. has it. <laughs> yeah, it's the only option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. I don't think. I don't even know that there is one anywhere nearby here at all. Um, what my son and I are planning on doing sometime during Christmas break is uh, I was just reading about uh, the new. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, makes bloody movies. Um, his new movie's coming out on Tarantino. Tarantino, thank you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. New movie. I was trying to think. I'm like, who makes bloody movies? Like, there's blood in a lot of movies, but no, but that makes Tarantino. sense. <laughs> um, he, uh, his new movie is coming out on Christmas Day, I believe, mm-hmm. and they have set up. I was just reading about how they'd set up a special thing of playing it. They they filmed it with the old lenses that they used, the 70 millimeter that they used for Ben Hur mm-hmm. and they used for, you know, these old movies. And they've arranged for a hundred theaters around the country to show it in that 70 millimeter. And they, mm-hmm. they had to like make special arrangements because there were only like three movie theaters that were still set up that they could have done that. So they yeah. had to do special stuff. So, um, I listened to a guy review the movie. He went to one of those showings where they played it on film, except it screwed up after a while. And then they just, they had to resort to a digital uh-huh. uh, reel and everyone liked the digital better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so, one of the things that I've noticed. Um, and it's kind of neat because uh, when I was living in New Brunswick, 
I live just outside of Fredericton and uh, the base. They got one of the really nice new digital uh, uh, projectors. And I knew one of the projectionists and he was like, yeah, when we switch to digital, I'm not sure I'm going to stay because I like the old style and we had the old projectors and they were great with the actual reels. And I'm not sure I'm going to like that. And mm-hmm. after his first weekend, he's like, no, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, you have to see this. Like he thought <laughs> the, the artistry was, was gone or something. And he absolutely loved it. And then it turned out that the cheap base movie theater, cause I think it was like $5 for any movie to go. Uh, had a better screen and a better projector than the multiplex in Fredericton. Mm. Nice. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was, I, I loved going to theaters there and the popcorn tasted better too. Cause they <laughs> made it with like real fat. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, well, let's get back to the episode. Yeah. Okay. We don't want to go too long. I'll, I'll trade you William's corpse for that head in a box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. That was a bad connection because you said head in a box, and all I can think of is a certain song mm. about Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's exactly always, what I'm thinking of. Uh, I think. I think what's going to happen. Wait, I lost. You know, <laughs> I I was surprised when I heard that that song was called Dick in a Box because I would assumed it would be Cock in a Box because oh. that is a better rhyme. Maybe now. Probably because dick is easier to say on TV than cock. But they didn't say dick. They didn't. No, it was bleeped. Was it really? I've yeah, I've never heard. I've never yeah. seen it. I've only heard the unbleeped version. Which is wh- which is why when I heard that it was dick, I thought, well, that's weird because I would have. But when they were bleeping it, I just assumed it was cock in a box. I think it was mm. uncensored. It was uncensored in the online version. <laughs> Who knew there were so many kinds of cock breath? You can't trust the earth because it talks too much. <laughs> <laughs>